the dragon and the wolf, huh? If you go by fandom vibe, general fandom vibe, it was a pretty big success. It broke a lot of records, too. Delivered on a lot of expectations, a lot of the things we kind of guessed at, more or less happened. Of course, we always guess at ranges of possibilities, so we always at least find the right thing, even if it's not what we say. This is definitely what's going to happen. I guess outside of ranges, too, just to make sure we cover everything. <laughs> That's true. I do that sometimes, too. It's fun to go outside of the established ranges, but generally speaking, the simple theories usually are the ones that are most likely. I'll say that uh, some of my friends who have been maybe more frustrated with this season were still pumped about this episode. Yeah, they've done a good job with the finales in general. Like, their history of, of big climactic moments sometimes, you know, they, they haven't always gotten it right, but almost all the finales, I can't think of any of the finales where it was really like, we're like, ah, oh, that wasn't good. I mean, there's always some people that don't like it, but I'm talking about general, general fandom yeah. attitude. And it makes sense that they know where they're going. Yeah. They might stumble on the way there, but once they get there, they're going to do it right. Exactly, and that's what we said about the last episode. It had did a lot of odd things, maybe odd as being nice, but regardless, <laughs> we also said that we liked where it left things, even though we thought it was kind of awkward or even bad how they got to some of those places. And that played out here. You know, we got a lot of great payoffs, even though the roadmap was weird. <laughs> so, you know, like, for example, this dragon pit. Not everyone liked the reasons for why they were in the dragon pit, but that was a good scene. I love that they were gathered, despite the fact that maybe the reasoning wasn't great, but, and how they handled it. It, it really allowed the show to do what it does best, which is let the actors do their thing. You know, you get all yeah. these, like, just people looking at each other and those yeah. gazes. Like, yeah. it was a lot of storytelling done by just letting the actors do their thing. And that's, Game of Thrones is one of its big strengths, you know? Thinking about how we maybe struggle with the details of how they get through the plot, right? That, and, and it's, you know, justifiable to call it bad writing sometimes. They, Absolutely. What, what I believe is that they want a certain conversation to happen, a certain line to be spoken, a tentpole moment that they need to hit an image that they want to get on screen, right? Yeah. And sometimes to get there, they have to, like, skip around in time <laughs> or forget that this character said this thing earlier or why didn't they do this other thing that makes more sense instead. And 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 I, I can imagine that every now and then they might make some legit mistakes, like they forgot or overlooked something or didn't account for something. But I think usually they know it. They argue about it in the writer's room. They present a script. The producer says no. George is like, what about this one thing? And they go back to the drawing board and they... They end up where they end up, but as long as they get where they're going and they hit that moment and they have that image, and something that made me feel a little bit better about this, again, I'm not necessarily trying to justify the writing, but and this is actually a two-part thought, is that there's some fan art out there of Danny on Drogon, yeah. on the ground, kind of reared up like he's about to breathe fire, and Jamie on a horse with a lance kind of reared up like he's charging. Mm -hmm. Now that's a completely different image than what we saw. You know what I mean? Danny's on the ground trying to pull a spear out of Drogon and Jamie's like actively charging. It's not yeah. like this show off, showdown, you know. But that bit of art is beautiful and still conveys the right sentiment of mm -hmm. that moment. Does that yeah. make sense? You can and imagine so, like some like in-world artist drawing it that way. After hearing about the moment from afar, it's been, right. it, it gets exaggerated and the people tell the story and it's like, ah, oh, that's what happened. That leads me to my second thought. Well, my, my first thought being that that's an awesome image and it gets the sentiment right even though the details are off. Right. I still appreciate it, right? And additionally, if you consider that maybe in, in general for a work of literature or a moment in history, whatever, that there's a reality, a, a what actually happened, right? Yeah. But then there's the book about it. 
the story <laughs> that someone told. Yeah. The TV show adaptation. <laughs> all that, you know, whether you're talking about Game of Thrones or, I don't know, the Bible or the Civil War or whatever it is, there's so going to be right, some, some hodgepodge of different angles and interpretations and presentations of it that aren't all going to perfectly line up to be real. And even the reality of it probably has some things that don't make sense. Why did this character do this thing? Or, you know, some yeah, fantastic yeah. <laughs> moment where someone ran a marathon faster than a person normally could or whatever, you know. So. But you always get the sense that they're going to get back on track even because you know they're like, well, they're just doing this to skip ahead to some other good yeah. part. So, eh, but yeah, because we've In had the this end, before. you know... Moses brought the Ten Commandments or whatever. You yeah, know, I mean, like a lot the of details people, of what he said yeah, around yeah. was might be lost, but yeah. Like a lot of people quit season five because season five had so many things that went wrong. But those of us who stuck around, which is most of us, got a pretty awesome season six. I mean, it was had plenty of flaws. And then we get to season seven, which maybe, I don't know, I, I haven't put it into context with whether I like season seven more than season six. I don't really know yet. I'll think about that some more. But it doesn't matter. The point is... You know, it has ups and downs, and um, they're still getting so much of this from George. They're still hitting the milestones George wanted them to hit, even if they do it very different ways. Anyway, behind the episode, also, they rev that reveals how much the cast loved this, too. They get to all hang out in the same location. Some of them are, like, filming scenes in Iceland while others are in Spain, and they, like, literally don't haven't ever met in person. You know, and then they're all just here, and the way they could kind of tell, they're all having fun, like hanging out, like like at a convention, like like when we all gather at a con, we're like we don't know each other in person. We, you know, well you and I do, <laughs> but a lot of us, you know, you, you guys have been listening to our show for years, and some of us, you know, at Con of Thrones, we met for the first time ever after knowing each other online for years. It's probably kind of similar for some of these actors. So you know, in fact, at Con of Thrones, at one of the panels with the actors, they were talking about a bunch of different things, of course, but. They were going over their, their death scenes. Uh, you know, Ramsey was there and Mace Tyrell and so on. Yeah. And they were talking about the, the nature of filming it, how they felt about it, you know, et cetera. The, the people, Joanna Robinson was like asking them questions. And and as they told the stories, you, you kind of got the idea that these things that we see on screen as being these epic moments, these powerful moments, these emotional moments, when they're filming it, it's kind of tedious. You know, <laughs> they're like doing it over and over again, or maybe they're wearing something that's really hot, and there aren't necessarily the, the things that we're seeing aren't necessarily around. Sometimes maybe it's a green screen, or you know, uh, but they have to act intense, like right. it's real, like every right. time, like over and over. Yeah, so you can really imagine hard. when they're actually interacting with another actor, that's more enjoyable for them. Yeah, they're just like, oh. Yeah. They're all going through that together. Boy, this is hard, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, but it's going to be awesome when it's done. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I think that all the time when they're standing around in the sun with a lot of armor and stuff on. Like, God, it must be miserable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, someone asked us, like, why was why does Barrett care about the cold? And, like, maybe if they could do it however they wanted to, Barrett wouldn't care about the cold. He'd just be walking around. But that's a real person in Iceland. He's yeah. got to be covered up, you know? <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. So, <laughs> anyway, so let's uh, let's get to our announcements, and then we'll dive into the uh, the meat of the material. I've got to see we've got some Super Chats already waiting for us. We'll get to that in a minute. Of course, we still have the GRM box. We've now had three winners, and there are still two more to come. So enter by sending an email to westeroshistorygiveaway at gmail.com. Sean and I wore the shirts that came from that on Saturday for the Predictions and Theories episode. And a lot of good stuff in the GRM box. Coins, Dothraki language stuff, maps. It's really, really fun stuff, and you can look up the exact contents also, we're going to be doing some end-of-season stuff besides this this last episode. This is not our final episode, and I don't mean uh, our book-to-show episode won't be the final show coverage either. As we've done for several seasons in a row now, we like to do a little, some, some fun kind of closing it all out. We, we review each episode individually. We kind of like to take, the, take a look at the season as a whole, and it's also a good time for us to bring in some guests. We have several people in mind. We haven't 
arrange it all yet because obviously everybody, a lot of these guests are people that have their own shows and they have their own schedules to maintain. Plus there's real world jobs <laughs> and things like that to keep in mind. But if you guys have people you want us to have as guests, you feel free to send us a message, westroshistory at gmail.com or put it in the chat there. Maybe a Shay will take note, especially if the same names come up several times. And we will see what happens there. We're, of course, going to have a lot of people that you expect, some of the people that we've had from previous seasons, but we're also going to try to involve some new people as well, and we'll just see how that works out, and we'll let you know. Maybe we can get Obama. <laughs> he's got more time to watch Game yeah, of Thrones these days. Yeah, a job to worry about, scheduling around. <laughs> Thanks to Sean for being here again. It's been a great season all year long, and we'll be continuing after the season with more. You're going to be doing more show coverage and more just stuff with us. Um, around the year we have a lot of time in the meantime and we have other shows we're going to cover but we're going to be doing live streams on the semi-regular and we'll we'll have a schedule kind of start to come more clear over the next coming weeks as we work it out and Shay will of course be in some live streams as well so we've got a lot more coming and of course the book material from us is going to start rolling out on the regular again as well so that is something to look forward to thanks to everyone of our patrons who has made this possible in particular Jeff Gnarly the Long Snapper History of Westeros's First Sword and of course our Dragon Rider patrons starting with Lord Mark of House Joseph the Snow in Winterfell writer of Masla Cartho and a chat mod extraordinaire he's been pitching in not just as a patron but as putting in his time and effort helping us out on the chat end of things and also helping us gather questions so really couldn't ask for a more supportive guy also, we have Talanis the Talon, King of Gagasos, Rider of Talarius, the Red Dragon with scales, horns, and talons of Midnight Black, and Jinx of House Lier, Green Queen of the Rainwood, rumored daughter of a Woods Witch, Rider of Erogenia, Sylphic Albino Dragon with amethyst eyes and opalescent wings. And we're going to get to meet you in person soon. Jinx is coming to hang out with us at DragonCon along with a lot of other of our friends. We're going to be having fun with that. And maybe we'll get to do some sort of fun live episode with uh, some of the Game of Owns people as well, because they're going to be here as well. So, fun times are coming. We'll try to share that with y'all. Okay. Let's see. We had a super chat from... I should also say oh. Kyle from uh, Azora Hype. Oh, yeah, He'll absolutely. He'll be here, and I'm going to try to do an episode with him on Thursday. That is right. Kyle's coming as well. We're going to have a nice house full of uh, YouTubers and uh, podcasters and what and kind of crazy super things fans. will happen. <laughs> That's right. It's super fans. So, good times. So thanks to Perry from down in Mexico sending us a super chat ahead of time. There was no question that we saw attached, so appreciate the live donation. Jessica Pick says in super chat form, I won't be able to watch the live feed, but we'll tune in as soon as I'm able. Just wanted to say thanks for all the hard work you four put into these episodes. Well, I guess there's more than four of us, really, but there we thank you um, for the thanks. It's very appreciated. Glad that you took note. Lady Lajara says, yes, been eagerly awaiting the Westeros history take on this. Well, we're about to get deep into that. Aaron Haybig, Super Chat, says, early question, what's with Tyrion's look on the boat? Yeah, you know, that's something we talked about a bit last year. They kind of telegraphed it a bit when Tyrion said, well, it's going to happen. People are going to fall for you, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just, they can't help it. And then she kind of stands up and he's kind of just staring where she was sitting. Mm -hmm. And it definitely telegraphed this, like, he's falling for her kind of thing. I think there's a lot to the look, not not just jealousy or even uh, emotions towards Danny. Remember how much Jamie in the opening scene was talking about family. Mm -hmm. And remember how Cersei tells Tyrion, you ended our line. You know what I mean? Like, whether it's fair to say that or not, but, you know, all the Lannister kids, you know, like, I wonder if Tyrion feels some obligation to have a child. Will he ever find a love that's worthy yeah. of marriage? Uh, knowing that Cersei's pregnant and is 
does he know about the betrayal? Is he worried about, even if he doesn't know about the betrayal, if in the end Danny and John team up, could Cersei beat them? Is he worried about, is he responsible for any of the Lannisters? You, know, you can <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, yeah. I can imagine all kinds of guilt, uh, you know, feelings of loneliness or not belonging, aside from like emotions, romantic emotions towards Danny or jealousy of John. I think there's a lot of other mixed up in that too. Not to mention the idea of like what their kids will be like, what kind of leaders they're going to be. Okay, it's happening. Are they going to be able to do this? Yeah. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Super chat from Danny Jeter who says, what effect does Winter and the White Walkers have on Essos? Well, I do believe as far as we know that, you know, the weather should be having some impact over there without the White Walkers though. You know, there's no way for them to get there as far as we know. We, you know, it's been brought up that they, you know, they can't walk on water or anything, yeah. <laughs> uh, or go under the ocean and walk on the floor and come out on the. <laughs> as far as we know, that's not doable. But you know, they do in the books. There's hints that it's going to play a role. The the effect of winter, you know, and certainly the long night on a global scale. Well, long night was on a global scale. That, that all the ancient legends from ancient ancient times from a variety of cultures speak of this sort of thing had happened where the whole world was in darkness they each talk about it in different ways but it's kind of like how on our own world there's if you look at a bunch of different cultures they all have some sort of thing about an ancient flood like mm -hmm. like in the bible and the bible is not nearly the only place where that's mentioned that's a lot of cultures have this sort of flood myth sort of thing which means it probably isn't a myth um at least but some of the details are certainly myths yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> But uh, in, in general, I think that's what we're what we're dealing with in a lot of ways, and so that the the White Walkers may not specifically come and attack Essos, but winter will. Winter will hit it, and they'll feel the effects of this winter. And if the winter is really powerful and overwhelming, it'll cause starvation and problems in other places as well. Okay, so we have almost 800 people already. Oh, nice. So y'all hit the like button. We'd appreciate that. And certainly keep those questions coming and chat amongst yourselves as we proceed. Feel that is part of the fun. Everybody hang coming into my shoulders. 800, <laughs> that's a... <laughs> yeah, y'all y'all need 200 more to get Sean moving. Don't forget. <laughs> okay, looks like one more super chat. I guess it was just a... Didn't have a question attached to it. Thank you, Andrew Duff, for the super chat. If you intended to attach a question, let Shan know. So as I was saying at the beginning here... It, simple theories usually are the ones that paid off. Remember us last year talking about Arya getting stabbed, trying to come up with all these things, and it was just, nope, she got stabbed, and then got better, <laughs> you know, got healed. And and when I say simple, I don't mean stupid. Simple is a word that requires context. Yeah. Simple can mean stupid, and it can mean just keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in this case, I definitely don't mean stupid. I uh, Certainly there have been times where the show did something stupid. That's not what I mean here. We were certain there would be an R plus L equals J reveal here, partly because it hasn't been explained and it needs to be made simple. It needs to be explained in simple terms. And oh boy, did they explain it simply. Like they just yeah. came out and said all the things, right? Yeah. Like he's the th heir to the throne. His name is John Hagon Targaryen. <laughs> like all this, like they stated it in unequivocal yeah. terms. And we, from, we kind of predicted yeah. it that. <laughs> and we're also getting it from multiple different reliable sources, right? Yes. Not a rumor multiple, or something to yes. wonder about. They're making it clear. Brand watches it happen. Like yeah. watches it actually happen yeah. and then explains what he's seeing as yeah. he's saying it. Like on the other hand, my, hi, my name is Rhaenys. This is my brother Aegon, and this is my other brother Aegon. That might seem counter counterpoint to the whole idea of not making it confusing. But again, if you think that through, the same viewers who don't know 
that Danny is Danny and not Khaleesi, they sure yeah. as heck don't know the name of Rhaegar's kids, so that's not a confusing thing to them. There's yeah. no confusion over the name Aegon. This is all like, oh, his name's Aegon. Like the other Aegon. No, they're just like, oh, his name is Aegon, period. And I do like <laughs> to think that the, the more casual viewer, if they were to make that connection and be confused by it, they would dig deeper, you know. They, they, the information is out there, you know. And that's how I started. I started off with these, like, well, what about? Isn't this, you know? And I, I would add, I just happen to have an expert, you know, <laughs> to, uh, multiple experts to be honest. Uh, yeah. To, they could like answer my questions, give me some context, lead me in the right direction or whatever. And and it's been really fun to dig deeper and to become far part of this fandom. And. Uh, to the extent that they might even do some confusing things, I hope, and I've even seen some of my friends come to me with this confusion. And as I answer it, they're like, oh, see the light bulb's going off. And they just want to know more and more and realizing how much more there is to know. It's really fun and exciting to go Multiple of my friends last night who aren't people that I associate with being watchers of the show. Like, just, but I, oh, you watch the show? They message me to say, are John and Danny brother and sister? Or what is their familiar relationship? I'm like, no, they're, she's his aunt. You know, it's like Rhaegar's her sister. And he's Rhaegar's son, you know, that. And like, oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah, still very incestuous. Not quite as incestuous as Cersei and Jamie. Pretty damn incestuous still, though. <laughs> um, so here's another super chat from Aejon Starkgarian. Before I read your super chat, Aejon, I want to point out that this theory, that his name was originally Aegon, has existed since like 1996. Ever since people figured out R plus L equals J, which has been around since 1996, People were like, Aegon, John, Aegon, John. That that has been noticed. So this nickname that people are coming up with now, and I'm not saying you didn't come up with this. I'm, I'm not, this isn't a dig at you. I love this name, Aegon Starkarian. That's cool. But it's it's becoming famous now, but it's it's been a thing for a long time. Well, people can in, <laughs> independently come to this oh, yeah. conclusion. Because it's yeah. right there. It is just, this just proves the point that the idea yeah. is just, oh, John, Aegon, Aegon. It's our, like, take away the A-E and it's gone yeah. or J-O-N, G-O-N, you know. It's it's there. In real life, I'm sure there are a lot of names that are very similar that have a similar root name in a yeah. past. Paul and Saul, you know, probably came from some the same root name at some point thousands of years ago. You know? Absolutely. Now, so the qu actual question in the super chat is: If Dragonfire weren't wasn't enough to stop the Night King, why was it capable of bringing down the Wall? Well, I guess because. You know, they're not, I mean, the, the Night King and the, and the Wall aren't, you know, made of the same thing. The Night King is some sort of magical being who, who's, his, the effect of Dragonfire on him isn't quite clear at this point. You know, I don't know that, we don't know that it's not enough to stop him. Danny didn't have time to look around and know who the Night King was and who the leader was. And, you know, maybe she could have, but. At the point when she does start to realize it, there's the danger. She's on a rescue mission. It's, yeah. Maybe they could have, should have done something different there, but it's not like, already the plan is, you know, questionable. Do we expect them in the heat of the moment to come up with a new, perfect, better plan? You know, they're just trying to get out of there, right? So I would say that the dra Dragonfire might actually stop the Night King. We don't actually know that it doesn't. It hasn't exactly... He, he's walked over Dragonfire that was burning the ground. You know, he walked through regular fire. But we haven't seen him, like, take a blast of Dragonfire to the face or anything like that. So I, I, I wouldn't go... F I'm not sure that we could say it's not enough to stop him. Um, but I do think that this magical blue fire coming from this dead dragon, I can buy that it takes down the wall. You know, I mean, the wall's supposed to have some magic in it, but I don't think that's the kind of magic that it's got in it. It's still just a wall of ice with, like, wards on it. So, you know. It, there's several things here. One is, I'm not sure that it's fire, per se. They, they confirmed, it no, be. it is. They, is said, it? They, okay. they confirmed behind the scenes that it is blue fire. Yeah. Okay. Uh, regardless, even if it is fire, I think it's as much the power of the blast 
as it is the heat or the yeah, ice. Yeah, just or, the force. But it yeah. also could just be, man, it's magic. There's yeah. a flying zombie dragon. Like, it can just have magic breath. It does whatever they yeah. want, you know? And this is that another This is another simple thing. We were like, maybe the dragon just can still breathe fire, and that'll take down the wall. Sure enough, yeah. that was it. That was the simple, the simple answer paid off there. And, you know, if we're going down to Cersei, you know, here, talking about her thing, the simplest thing happened. She did agree to the armistice, but... Because she wanted to buy time. That's what she said to Jamie ahead of time. She was like, yeah, well, we can buy time. This is good for us. You know, it didn't quite play out the way Jamie thought it would. But still, <laughs> that's the thing. Another super chat from Andrew Duff. Thanks, Andrew. Um, still, we still don't see a question attached, but appreciate that. Snow and Winterfell super chat says, Team Eamon forever, or till George says otherwise. I agree. Now, M Lord Mark and I had a conversation on Twitter about there's a lot of foreshadowing in the book of Game of Thrones for Jon's name being Eamon, not Aegon. However, I backed off on that. I, I still think it's pretty likely that his name is Amon in the books. Um, but I backed off on that a little bit. Because I'm a little... I'm, I'm a, I'm so, I sort of doubt that they decided to name him Aegon on their own. I sort of think maybe George told them that. Or maybe he... But he could have suggested, told them Amon, and they just were like, well, we'll go with Aegon. But the idea that he had this name certainly came from George. So they may have... Could have easily tweaked the name choice. But, you know... And also... I want to point out it's more of a book thing, but there's a lot of foreshadowing in Game of Thrones that has not that all, that doesn't matter. You know, like, like there's a, there's foreshadowing for Jamie being king because that was his original intent in the 19 when he wrote the manuscript in 1983. Jamie was going to murder his way to the throne, and so Bran in chapter like three, Bran sees Jamie's like, now that's what a king looks like. You yeah, know, and like, yeah. oh, that's foreshadowing, but no, it didn't happen. So, so Game of Thrones. This is the problem with the first book is that George didn't figure out everything he wanted to do, and some of that stuff grew and the tale grew in the telling as he would say and so he changed his mind he foreshadows things that don't happen i would not necessarily say it's a problem a, a, a challenge of interpretation maybe, yeah okay yeah. yeah so uh, I, I think it's fair to call that a problem but you're right you're i like your description better <laughs> mine's a little more of a whitewash <laughs> also super chat from danny jeter what path will the white walkers take marching south along the eastern coast hitting carhold and white harbor or will they fan out and take over the entire north before crossing the neck i feel like the option for them to split up and to go in different ways is maybe a possible thing that they'll explore. But right now, they're more intimidating as one large mass. And they're going to have to come back together if they're going to ever go to the south because the neck is so tight and narrow. But they could spread out across the north hitting the population centers. The problem is, there just aren't population centers in the north. Mm -hmm. um, White Harbor would be the largest population center. And that is kind of funny. This is something I note I had prepared for later, but we may as well talk about it now. That's kind of funny. The first two castles basically in the way of the White Walker's path coming down Eastwatch, Umber, Karstark. The yeah, two castles yeah. that we saw those families, you know, talk about earlier this year, where John decided to let them, you know, let the youngsters keep their family's castles. And well, good, good luck, youngsters. Yeah, so that's what John was actually giving. John was playing a long game with their punishment. <laughs> Sansa's like, no, cut their heads. I was like, nah, I got this. <laughs> like, we'll pretend, I'm going to pretend to do the right thing, but I'm going to just, yeah, take this castle. <laughs> So I think that's probably what they're going to do. And I do think they're, they, I think they're going to go to Winterfell. I think they won't go to, it's, it's tempting to say they would go to White Harbor first because it's where all the people are. But Winterfell is farther north. I don't want her to go to Winterfell. And, and, I don't and, want her to. And there's, yeah, there's all this talk <laughs> about everyone it. going to Winterfell. Like You thought King's Landing was a meeting point in this last episode. But just adding up everyone that's going to Winterfell right now, it's crazy. It's like, yeah. two, it's like more than two-thirds of all the named characters. That are all going to Winterfell. Like, even Jamie. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, Bran, Sam, 
Jorah, like everyone, <laughs> except for like Euron and Theon and, and Cersei. Cersei. Yeah. And Cersei never leaves King's Landing except to go to Winterfell in the first episode. You know, that's yeah. it. <laughs> As we pointed out in another episode, Cersei is the most untraveled <laughs> or the, the least mobile. So a lot of possibilities, but I do think that it's going to be this, again, this is a good place to go with the simple theory. I think they overrun some of the northern castles, but go straight for Winterfell after that. I tend to agree with you, but I, I can't help but wonder, well, how does that play out? Like, is the final battle going to be thought, fought there at Winterfell? Like, no, they're going to have to retreat south, probably. Like, a lot right, of people are going to yeah. die, and they're going to have to, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> really don't. I, it, it's a good call. Like, maybe they find out that the army's coming and like we can't face that let's get the hell out of here yeah, maybe they never get to winterfell in the first place they maybe yeah maybe what's... the walkers come to winterfell and it's already abandoned yeah. if if tormund and uh and Beric are able to to escape and send out word send a raven from castle black or whatever bran has a vision we have yeah. to leave we have to leave winterfell you know so finishing out this theme of the simple things simple meaning good or making sense or just Easy to communicate on television. You know, this is a difficult adaptation. We have to keep remembering that. All that stuff you made, you pointed out before about them in the writer's room. You know, they have to also do that in a certain amount of time. Like, if George is like, yeah. I don't know. He can just take another month to think, or a year to think about it. <laughs> Decade. <laughs> Decade, yeah. <laughs> but the showrunners are like, man, I mean, look at the outrage when this was extended for, like, four months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the season started now. We're going to go into two years. So they made it simple with Sam and Gilly and the book thing. They didn't have, Sam just copied that book. We weren't sure if they brought the book or if... It would come up later, if the Maesters would later find it. You know, it was none of those things. It was just, oh, Sam had actually copied that book already, knew it was up. He just hadn't connected the dots because he didn't care about Rhaegar's annulment. It didn't mean anything to him until there was more context. And it was like, oh, all of a sudden that means a lot, you know, like once he heard that bit from Bran. Yeah, yeah. And Danny and John, Of course they're going to hook up. They're young and attractive, yeah. you know, <laughs> and of course, and it's been on the table as a possibility since, again, since like book one or book two, people have been thinking about this possibility, so... Yeah. <laughs> we start off with the armies massing. Bronn and Jamie looking down on the Unsullied and then the Dothraki. There's really good music in this scene. And we get an interesting conversation here that I think it's easy to miss some of the things that might be going on here. I mean, they talk about the whole, it all comes down to, to penises, which, you know, it's easy to write that off as just them being silly. But... Or just or making a joke, but it's got it. There's a good point to it. You know, what do it's the point is what do people fight for? What motivates people? You know, and jokes aside, Jamie, you know, that changed when they saw the army of the dead or the white. You know, that changed yeah, their perspective yeah. on what's important because the I idea that was of fighting a, for for money or land or power or even for family is a little you know like in the end maybe it is still for family. That seemed to be where Jamie's thoughts were centered. He wanted his family to be on the side of fighting for the right side, for humanity. And when Cersei's like, "Are you kidding? You're the stupid Lannister. This yeah. is a trick, you know." And he's like, "But but the army of the dead, that that's real." Yeah. And she's like, "So? <laughs> we're going to use it to our advantage." And you know, she's not wrong that she has moves she can make that will make this work out for them. I don't expect it to, but she's not wrong that it is an opportunity, and she's not wrong that the our, the north will be hit first and hardest. That was Tywin's opinion as well. You know, well, let them deal with it, and we'll, you know, once they're both just weakened, then then we'll deal with them. You and know? you know, it might be a, a sound strategy normally, right? Like this army that has to go through the north will be picked apart by the time it gets south. But in this case, she's forgetting that it'll they, be reinforced. It the larger. farther they go, the better they get. Yeah, this so. army doesn't get weaker because it fights. Yeah. People. It gets stronger when it fights, unless it unless it loses outright. But. That that said, though, I kind of flash forwarding a little bit from 
this moment at King's Landing, what we see at the end is Cersei's right. It would not matter if her troops were part of this battle or not. It doesn't really matter yeah, if there's right 20,000 or 24,000 or some 20 ballistas added to it. That's not making a difference here. Something... I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it something mystical has to happen. Yeah, it's <laughs> not enough. Yeah, you do yeah. not want to line up a hundred thousand living humans to fight a hundred thousand dead ones because the Night King can raise them at will during the battle. Like human yeah. dies, you're on my team. Human and dies, he can mow them team. down with a freeze raid. Yeah, no castle. That is a dragon. Think what the dragon did to the wall. He could just totally destroy King's Landing. You know, no castle can stand up to that, right? I, I'm assuming no castle yeah. could stand up. I don't think so. To what the, the dragon did to the walls. I don't think so either. Yeah, maybe like it could hold out longer. It won't just melt, but it would still just take it out. Yeah, yeah. Like Karen Hall was destroyed by, was was badly damaged by Valerian's fire. Like it's permanently, yeah. you saw it like on the show. It's devastated. Yeah. You know? Just this, this pile of rock. It's still a castle because he didn't blow down the walls, but yeah. <laughs> he took out the towers and parts of it. Dan Campbell says, Super Chat, Whites are notorious deadbeats. Ah, uh, I see what you did there. So the Iron Bank, so won't the Iron Bank back the forces dedicated to feeding them rather than Cersei? Well, that is possible. We, we certainly talked about the possibility of the Iron Bank changing sides at some point, but they, they I think they gave a pretty good reason for why they're not supporting D Danny and why they're, you know, why they wouldn't want to support John, especially now it's too late for supporting John because John bent the knee to Danny. They might support Cersei if they think Cersei is going to use the Golden Company to go fight the North. You know, like they have this uh, to yeah. fight the uh, the wild the the White Walkers. They might see this just as cynically as Cersei does. Like, yeah, let them let her strategize. Let let the Northerners be the heroes, and then clean up the mess afterwards and reestablish the rule of law. You know, with the kings. You know, with you in charge. They um, they they don't have enough reason to change to change uh, off yet, especially given that it kind of sounds like the money's already been spent. Euron's yeah. already gone to get the Golden Company. Yeah. So that money's already been spent, apparently. So uh, I think Cersei they're going to see Cersei was talking like, you know, the value of gold, you should listen to Dad, Euron's on this mission. Like, yeah. It seems like that's a done deal. So, so I think the dice, I think the die has been cast in that regard. And maybe they'll change their mind, but I think they're going to at least see how this early part plays out rather than shifting forces so quickly. Because right now, there's no one else for them to back. They can't back Danny because the reason they've already said they don't want to back it. That hasn't changed. Sure, the calculus has changed as to who else is laid up, who else is arrayed against them. But the total, the, 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 the bottom lines are still, as far as what they want, are still the same. They still want this regime in charge when it's done. Perry from Mexico, thanks again. Why is aunt slash nephew worse than cousins? They share no parent, but both share grandparents. Well, the, there is closer, you know, for, in terms of real world genetics, as far as I understand it, that it's, it's, you're more likely pr to produce, uh, to have problems with um, inbred Genetics are more likely to happen the closer along the bloodlines. Yeah, uh, sh sharing. I don't think so. I, in other words, they have they're closer to the same parent. You know, they're they're both. You know, they're both the same. They uh, John's grandfather is Danny's father. You know, and those are that's it's closer than cousins. So I think it's that, that's where those tab. That's why these taboos exist in the real world. Is because of it produces inbred children. That's, that's why incest is taboo in. That's all, one reason, the but there's another reason also. Okay, because. Oftentimes, it's an older brother taking advantage of a younger sister. That's another reason that mm -hmm. incest would be so forcefully fought against. Does that make sense? Okay. And so, I, to, to that end, it has as much to do with, like, the relationship you have with the person that you grew up with, that you have trust with, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. than it does to the potential genetics. Because there's... 
teenagers falling in love, Jamie and Cersei aren't like, we can't do this because it might affect the genetics of our kids, you know, assuming they even have that understanding in the first place. And if you go far enough into history back before they were even seeing these things play out or understood that that might be the reason they're playing yeah. out, it's, it's, you can understand parents not wanting their older son to take advantage of the younger daughter, you know. Yeah. So okay. I think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. at least as strong. That's a good point. And so if the cousins are separated or the aunt and the son are separated, they weren't raised together, it might be looked at differently. Okay. You know? Yeah, I see that. And it's fair to say, to your point, Perry, that it may be viewed very differently in Westeros. I am certainly putting my real-world uh, attitudes into this, which I usually try to take out. But because we don't necessarily know, you know, certainly the faith of the Seven that says that incest is bad. They're, it's very much, they're very against it. It was one of the big problems for Aegon the Conqueror's regime in the first place, especially when he died, because his kids were the product of incest, but he technically wasn't. You know, his grandparents were, but his immediate parents were not. So it, they kind of got around that initially, and then it became a problem later. So, yeah, so maybe it's less of a problem in Westeros than I'm making it out to be. Because, obviously, like you said, there's a lot of first cousin marriages. There's a first cousin marriages, not even yeah. second. Like, like, Ned's parents were first cousins. Tywin's wife was the first, you know, was his first cousin. This kind of thing, you know. So maybe into the 1600s, at least, it was just common across Europe, you know. Mm. So yeah. Super chat from Christopher King. Do you think that Tyrion betrayed Danny and John off screen with Cersei? That's why he last seen him standing in the shadows, contemplating the trail. We're getting this question a lot. <laughs> yeah. We do not think that uh, that happened, although it's possibly on the table. I just do not think that there is enough reason for him to want to be with Cersei. You know, he, they hate each other. That hasn't changed. You know, Cersei still hates him, even though she was willing to do this. And the reason she was willing to go along with this was it's all part of her, pl her play. Like, she got Tyrion, she basically acted like Tyrion was having to get her to, you know, having to bring her around again. But that was all staged. She was planning on accepting the armistice all along. She just wanted to, because that's been her plan all along, was to accept it and then stab them in the back. So I think Tyrion thought he was going in there in danger and being, you know, to do something they really needed to be doing. But Cersei was going to agree to it no matter what. She was going to agree to the armistice, I think, almost any way, any way possible. I, I mostly agree with you, but I still think that whatever her plan might have been, there are at, at least potential, potential monkey wrenches thrown into it. I think that she really did reevaluate when the zombie came yeah. and i think she may have really evaluated when she considered actually killing Tyrion right then and there and she might have really reevaluated when Tyrion recognized that she was pregnant now each time she reevaluates she might stick with the same plan but she might not she might have made alterations to the plan and she also has to explain this to Tyrion in some way too and they didn't show us that what was it that he said and she said she definitely didn't say fine I'll do it I plan on betraying you anyway you know? <laughs> well, although what if she did say that yeah. what if she did tell Tyrion look I'm going to betray you anyway I'll go ahead and go out there and tell them all I'm behind this I'll send an army north but you know in the end I'm still planning on being queen or whatever this happens so Tyrion I'm like yes I know that but I'm worried about right now he just got done telling John. Right now, we're screwed. Like, I understand your honor and all that, but right now, we're screwed. You should have just lied. So, yeah. Cersei and or Tyrion could have lied, even knowing that the other was lying, just because they need to get past this moment right now, you know? Makes sense. Um, oh, okay. Firefly Phoenix super chat. Why did Jamie, for the first time ever, ride away on a black horse, not a white one? All the rest nice. of the time, we have seen him on a white horse, an odd counterintuitive symbol of the shining knight in white armor who does good deeds. Now, the black horse, when he leaves, do to go off and do good things. I didn't catch that. 
I didn't uh, either. I did take note of him putting on a black glove to over cover his, his gold yeah, hand. He didn't want anyone to know who he was. And then the yeah. snowflake came, and I decided that they weren't using any symbolism with the black or the gold, that it was just for us to see the snowflake. But when you point out he was also on a black horse, which I think you're right, that's the thing he's been on a white horse. Yeah, I, I, I cool. love that you caught that. Yeah. I'm, I'm jealous that you caught that. It's the type oh, of yeah. thing I want to catch, yeah. Very nice. Good yeah. job there, uh, Firefly Phoenix. Oh, Snow and Winterfell says we have about 950. Only 50 uh, away from a dance here. 949. 980. 980. Oh, oh goodness. Tell your friends, people. If each one of you tells somebody, well, we'll be... We'll get to 2,000. We'll get to 2,000. If each one of you tells six people, <laughs> we get to 6,000 and we do a 24-hour I can't even talk about the podcast anymore. I'm just like dude staring at the odometer as it's nearing 100,000 miles. Like, oh, it's going to get there. Okay, well, I have to make myself move on. Another super chat from Dornish Dan while we await the perhaps epic reaching of six figure live viewers. Tuned in late, so apologize if I already asked. Six figure. Four figures. I don't know what six figures. I don't know where that came from. Maybe that's the size of the army of the dead. 100,000. I don't know where I got that. Anyway, the continuing Dan, Dornish Dan super chat. Jamie will give away Cersei's plan once he gets north, so won't Daenerys take, just take appropriate action? Yeah, that is, um, that all happened so fast in the moment. Maybe Cersei didn't fully think that through when she let Jamie go. But yeah, that's a big problem for her now that her, her, intent, her intent to uh, stab everyone in the back is known by Jamie. He may just tell everyone. Now, Maybe she thinks he won't tell that part of the plan, or maybe she thinks, well, they kind of, they're probably going to figure this out anyway, but... Or can't do anything about it anyway. Yeah, I don't even, I'm not sure. That's, but that's true. Like, that is the big fly in Cersei's ointment. Is there? We hit it? Yeah. All right. Whoa, it says exactly 1,000 when I look at the screen. Oh my goodness. All right, well, we're going to have to... Okay, you can just do a little preview here. You know, I don't know. I, I kind of legitimately had a plan to film a video. I have a friend who is like an amateur filmmaker. Uh, the Dance of the Shans. Yeah, yeah. A dance with Shans. Yeah. dance for someone, and I think you should also do that. Well, I need a song. I need some music. And I pick All Night Long by the Mary Jane Girls. We have a super <laughs> chat from Purple She-Wolf just sending us some love. Thank you for that. And Aaron Habig, big super chat saying, let's hit the like button for dancing time. Yes. Say you have to actually dance right here. All right, I will. You want to do one. Okay, move that chair aside. Oh, Are you going to like pull the camera over here? Can you yeah, see? Because you can't see my feet. No, dancing. I'm going to pick the camera up. You're gonna, I thought you were going to go out I'm going to come over here? I thought so. It's a big digression, <laughs> but it's worth it. We All got right. to 1,000. I hope they can hear that okay. Make sure the... Yes. This is win. This is what winning looks like right here. <laughs> Making history. Marry me, Sean. OMG, this is awesome. They have legs. He's just warming up. Jeff Hartline says, erect. Uh, <laughs> the dance that was promised. Uh, the show goes on. Magic is real, everyone. Panties hitting the floor. Amazing dance skills. What's that? Live? Yeah, yeah. Dancing with the Starks. 
There we go. <laughs> the podcast won't be nearly as good this week. <laughs> People right. commenting on our books and all that. Okay. All right. We got a minute into that, but no, Sean will record a very. Nice yeah, we'll. we'll video that's that's just for, for now, all. folks. That's just the uh, okay. short-term version. Now we got to fix our camera again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for being good sports while we. Uh, did that. That was awesome. Everybody seemed to like it. Well, at least <laughs> almost everybody. All white long, someone said. All white long. <laughs> white boy got moves. I see that the comments are good. Why is his shirt still on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very fitting, Sean, that you're wearing your get down Oh, shirt. that's right. You yeah. Got, got a disco ball. Yeah, you were all prepared. Man, that's what we should have had Jinx get for us. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yes. I can't believe we made it happen at the last minute. That's awesome. Thank you. The fandom really came together for that moment. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I can't, I can't I'm so impressed. We made it happen. <laughs> Nothing. I never when I started podcasting, I never would have thought anything like that would ever happen. That have was happened. the direction we were going to go. Yes, that was uh, Woohoo Dancing Sean, best time to tune in. Thanks Jessica. That was a super <laughs> chat there. This, this is, is just the super chat episode so far. That's <laughs> true. We'll never move forward. <laughs> Okay, so from Andrew Duff, it's hard to just go back to questions after that, but we gotta do we gotta do our thing. Do you think God's Eye and Howland Reed will play a part in season eight? And what do you think Bran will do after he's played his part in telling John his heritage? Okay, that's a great question because I am now backing off a bit on my Howland Reed prediction. Not only did Bran say I'm the only one who knows, which he knows isn't true. He saw Howland Reed there. He even and and uh, the Three Eyed Raven, the old Three Eyed Raven, even said that's Howland Reed. Mira's father. She even I went back and watched that scene. And he says that. Like they've made it a point to point out who he is. But now, like, what is he gonna do? Like the parentage reveal has happened. You know. It's also I also want to maybe give Bran credit for like he can see everything and he can know everything, but he can't like see it all at once. He can't remember everything. Wait, he said he remembers everything. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know where to look. Like Sam said, like yeah. Sam pointed him in the right direction and he looked. You know, it's like he can't just see everything. But I guess at once maybe he doesn't realize Helen Reed is still alive right now. But he should. He was traveling with Mira. No way in all that time she didn't say something about going to see her dad. Yeah, uh, it's a little frustrating. Yeah, that's a, that was a li- that was slightly annoying. But I think that may have just been a simplification for the viewers. Like, yeah, there's yeah. One, actually there's one other guy who knows. You know, like, uh, yeah. But as for the second part of the question. What do you think Bran will do after he's played a part in telling John his heritage? I think they'll, they're still going to be his... He still has a lot of value in powers, perhaps, helping to fight Night King. Night yeah. King is, seems to be much more powerful than him. But Bran is growing in his powers, and they may continue to increase. I have sort of theorized that it's possible that the Night King has made an effort to come forward many times in the past, and the Three-Eyed Raven stopped him. Mm. But this time he can't do it. This time oh, he can't. Yeah. The Night King's built up enough power that... This, the Crasher's mm. kids or to the rise of magic with dragons or something about this one is different and hmm. the Three-Eyed Raven couldn't stop it. That is a good And point. so maybe in the future, if the Night King isn't is defeated but not destroyed, right, maybe he'll come back again and Bran will have to stop it somehow, you know. How many viewers do we need for Aziz to dance? <laughs> Ooh, more. 1,003. <laughs> <laughs> Eliana gives a super chats. Make it rain. Tip your dancers. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> or our dancer in this case. Okay, so Dornish Dan says, super chat, I'm completely bumble freaked. Bumble freaked? <laughs> Can we pause for a minute? To... I am bumble freaked by your use of the word bumble freaked. Because that is awesome. That's like... 
for for the Sunny fans in the show. That's like, <laughs> it's like can we stop? And you, you keep using that word jabroni, and it's awesome. <laughs> it's, that's just like, I, I just want to appreciate the word bumble freaked. And so anyway, the, the rest of the sentence is, I'm completely bumble freaked by talk of Bran being the Night King. How would that work? And is there any indication that it could happen in the book? I think no and no. I, I think this is a silly theory. No offense to anyone. We see Night King be created. We see it happen. That's not yeah. Bran. That's, you know, that's Vladimir Furtick, the, the stuntman who plays Night King. <laughs> I, I still don't buy this theory, but the argument they make is that Bran travels through time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, when you say time travel, then anything is possible. Then it's right. like, well, I can't really, I can't say anything that I, I, I absolutely disproves the theory if that's what people are, are hinging it on. But... Yeah, I just don't think so. And, and it, it also, the idea that Bran could go back in time and affect things, like if he affected Hodor or he called out Ned's name and he responded, things like this. Yes. But one, keep in mind, I think that just because it kind of happened one time doesn't mean that's the way things work, Yeah. right? Um, but it's, even if it did, even if you say that's the way things work and that that's the direction the writers are going to go with the show, they're not going to resolve this through the the skills and determination of the characters they're going to resolve this through brand time traveling yeah you know what i mean okay. yeah if even if all that were true then still brand couldn't couldn't the night king be ned couldn't, <laughs> yeah. couldn't brand have caused ned to do something different at the tower of joy and he went through time because three-eyed raven also went into someone else at some other point and that person went to the future and had a, you could just make up anything at that point and i one just of, don't think that's what they're doing one of the reasons i didn't take this theory seriously when i first saw it is i, I read it when it was a new theory or at least i think when it was new i mean who knows like who knows what other dark corners of the internet this came out of but the person who submitted it made some extremely basic errors in their understanding of how a lot of things work. And I'm forgetting what some of those details were, but the person like posited this because of this and this because of this. Those were complete assumptions. So a lot of what this theory is based on is is smoke and mirrors. So it's it's resting on on very fringy concepts in the first place. So I, I think it's a the, the the theory got popular. I think because a lot of a lot of like clickbaity sites picked it up because that's what they do. They like to pick up these yeah. fringe Game of Thrones theories and put them on, you know, make them clickbait titles. Could Bran be the Night King? And people got excited about it. But no, really, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. No, no offense to anyone who likes that theory, but no, I just really, really don't think so. Also, I will point out that, as I've pointed out many times, there's a huge audience for this show. Yes. And a lot of people like conspiracy theories, and some slice of fans of Game of Thrones are going to like conspiracy theories. And most conspiracy theories are hard to swallow, have some big holes, but people still want to believe in... They're fun. The yeah, idea of yeah. considering Bran as the Night King is fun. I yeah. will not... I would never say don't have fun with crackpot theories. But when... But if we're talking about it as a viable, this could be real in the books or show thing, that's when I'm like, nah. But if you just want to have fun with it, yeah, by all yeah. means, theories are fun. And it's know? also way extra fun the more crackpot your theory is if it were to come true. Yeah, then you you're just so to vindicated. Like, I was in the half a percent of people that believe this. And if it's not true, you're like, ah, no one thought that anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. Okay, uh, super chat from JB Lee. This really brightened my day. I love all of you. I think JB is referring to your dancing, by the way. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this whole episode in general, but that as well. Okay, well, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and do some of our mid-roll stuff. This is maybe not halfway through. This this stream could go a long time because we're really, we're not covering everything we wanted to cover because this is more, this is the most festive of an episode <laughs> we've ever had. This is not a bad thing. I'm not complaining at all. This is awesome. This is fun. But our progress getting through material is a little bit slower. <laughs> <laughs> so this could be a particularly long stream. Now, so let's do some of our mid-roll stuff. I want to start out of order. 
with what you're saying, with the being right about a theory that's really unlikely to be right. Mm -hmm. Now, that is the whole point of Sir Valentin de Gen's Game of Predictions site that I've been talking about. He is one of our patron supporters, and I checked his site out. I actually made some predictions there. And it's a futures market. Remember, again, it's free. There's no money involved. And the way a futures market works is you buy buy or shell share, buy or sell shares of a theory in this case. And if the theory is R plus L equals J, you don't get a very good price on it because yeah. everyone believes this, right? Yeah. And so you're if you you can't make much money by by predicting that that's accurate. But if you predict that Sansa will end up on the Iron Throne, you can get a great price for that. If you predict that okay, Bran is the Night King, that. you can get a great <laughs> price for that. Well, actually, you can't I get that great of a price of it because somehow that theory is actually popular on the site right now. Probably because not not a ton of people are using it yet. But anyway. It's fun. You can go in and put your virtual money where your mouth is and try to make which guesses you think are the most accurate. This thing's going to be running for years. It's going to continue. It'll involve book stuff, I believe, as well. So, again, it's gameofpredictions.org, and check it out for fun. Bill Couplin Super Chat for Sean. Drink for that dance. He's uh, he's tipping you for your awesome dancing. Are you, you're buying me a drink? He's or got are you a, instructing me to drink? His drink is purple, man. <laughs> what the? <laughs> what is that? This is the, the berry naked protein drink okay. with the Blue Mountain Dew mix in it. Gives me energy to dance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Also, I want to give shout-outs to some of our other patrons who helped make this episode and others like it possible. It's time uh, for our Northern Champions to get a shout-out. That would be Jay Wilson, Winter's King, Sir Stephen, the Hammer of the North, Winter's King, Lord of the First Men, Lady Ire Ardross, Mother of Wolves, Sir Daniel, the Sneaky Russian, Sir Brian the Returned, Knight of the Last House, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Red Song, and Sir Kobe of House Stonesmith, whose words are, words are wind, deeds are stone. Also thanks to our three Blood Riders now, we have rounded out our Blood Rider group, and they are all female. How cool is that? We have Kohol Koei, Master of the Bow, called Sun Piercer. We have Vorsaki, wielder of a Valyrian Steel Arak with the Dragon Bone Hilt. And introducing Stefania, first named Kalaki Blood Rider, wielder of the Orvik Key Vorsa, which is Dothraki for Whip of Fire. How cool is that? So you can see the word Vorsa and Vorsaki is. Vorsaki is Flame and uh, Whip of Fire, Orvik Vikorsa. Cool. Our patrons learned Dothraki in order to create their names, or at least some Dothraki. That is that is really getting into it, which is something I love about this fandom. We take it seriously. Anyone who does learn Dothraki can sit down and have a conversation with uh, Dwight and Aaron from The Office. <laughs> That's right. The Office released its season nine deleted scene. There's an extended scene of Dwight and Aaron talking Dothraki. <laughs> Aaron even refers to, but if we retire to the Dothraki coast, you know, I won't seem like a tourist. <laughs> and she refers to the Dothraki book of Proverbs. <laughs> Pretty dang funny. Uh, super chat from Jinx Lear for Sean Sick Moves. P.S. I bought a disco ball. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. That is living. Okay. We are, again, as I said at the beginning, but a lot of people missed it because people come in and out of, the, of this chat. We're going to continue our regular live streams. We're going to have different topics, mostly Game of Thrones related, occasionally non-Game of Thrones stuff. But we're going to, we're considering going back to rewatch some of the earlier seasons, which we never did cover. And it's fun to rewatch when there's new stuff in there. I, like, I'm going to reread too, because stuff about like Night King and stuff about Ice Dragon, there's new references to look for, because George is so sneaky, it's so mm -hmm. subtle. I mean, 
this, the references to the children making the others were in the books. We just didn't have any reason to specifically think it's, you know, to have sort of confirmation to look for that. But once once that confirmation show, quote unquote, show confirmation was there, it made a reread just so much more interesting. So we're so much to talk about. Plus, these live streams are just so much more fun. Like it's changed. The, the game has changed with the way they work, you know, the technology has changed a bit and now it's just a part of our routine. We want to keep that going. It's so much fun and I know you guys feel the same way. We won't have as much new material to talk about, but we'll still have a great time hanging out. And again, as I said, with the rereads on topic with that, if you want to reread but don't have the time to sit down and reread the books, get them on Audible. Our, our, the uh, Audible trial is a great way to get involved with the audiobooks because it's no cost. You get two free downloads. Go to historyofwesteros.com, take advantage of that trial. You don't have to spend any money if you don't want to. You get to keep those two free downloads even if you don't keep the trial. Maybe that's the way for you to do your reread rather than sitting down and focusing on it, you know? Get that reread while you're running errands, while you're doing chores, while you're jogging or whatever whatever you need to do. So, highly recommended. While so, you're dancing. So while you're dancing, <laughs> that's right. You may prefer music, but hey, if you want to listen to uh, Game of Thrones while you're dancing, then that's your soundtrack, that's your soundtrack. The last war against the dead left enough alive to cause the present war. Shouldn't Bran go back in time to see what should have been done then so as to eliminate the problem now? Ooh, yeah. Seeing if he can... I mean, he was able to see the birth of the walkers by looking far back enough, so he should be able to see what came after that. Yeah. So and maybe thought. that's the answer to the question that someone asked earlier is how, how will they defeat him? Maybe Bran is going to figure out how to defeat him. have to go look for the answers in, yeah. in the history. That's a great idea. Maybe, maybe Sam will be like... I got this book that says this. Can you verify that? (laughs) (laughs) What a great thing to have. Sam's like, look if this is real or not. Sam and Bran working together. Sam and Bran are the dream team. I want to be with them. New spinoff idea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jeez. Uh, Serious Sam and Raisin Bran. (laughs) If Bran starts raising the dead, that's his nickname. Raisin Bran. (laughs) Hopefully not. If he is the Night King, then that's his real name. Raisin Bran. All right, so we got to back up here to King's Landing. We didn't even come close to covering all King's Landing. But here's a little tidbit. While we're talking about the Night King and all that, that white, it had blue eyes. Shay's going to pull up this image of the white having blue eyes. The, the white having blue eyes, of course, is nothing not a surprise. Of course the whites have blue eyes. But consider that if the Night King or another walker can see through the eyes of the whites... Yeah. Wa- the, the Night King was watching this whole thing happen in the Dragon Pit, seeing all these enemies, seeing all this stuff arrayed before him. Uh, that's very interesting. You know, just what would not, we don't know what kind of level of intelligence he has, what kind of purpose he has, but we know that he has intelligence and he may have witnessed all of this. How awesome would that have been if, as the scene was unfolding, we get a cut to the Night King? And his eyes roll back white like Brands does. <laughs> and then we see images from this, what we're seeing oh, in like yeah. a blue tinted film. You know what I mean? Yeah. We see Cersei's face reel back as the white closes in on her. And we see maybe the, the mountain, you know, <laughs> the Night King, you know, re- responded to that. So one of the, I had a dot I was going to connect that an hour had passed in between when I intended to connect these two dots, which was that <laughs> as Bronn and Jamie were staring out at these armies massing and it was intimidating them. We had a parallel to John and Tyrion and them arriving by ship, seeing Euron's big fleet array. They're like, uh, this is kind of the same feeling Jamie and Bronn were having. Like, uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. scary. So that was kind of neat. And uh, they have the conversation about how many people live in King's Landing. Now, they, they diverge from show book canon on these numbers, but who cares? 
you know, they do that sort of thing. But they made it larger. Not, King's Landing is about double the size it is in the books. It's about 500,000 people in the books, so a million people here. And the North really should have more people in it total than the books, or than the show says, less than, than a million. But again, who cares? That's just... It's also possible, whatever point the books give those numbers, things might have changed since then. Like, maybe some of the population has consulted itself at King's Landing. Still, that's a huge doubling. Yeah, that's true. really yeah. huge. But it does make sort of some sense because the food has been yanked from all these places. Although, the, being inside the city is not a good place to be when there's, when there's starvation. Mm-hmm. The food will be harder to come by there. But... I can't help but think of the pun, Night King's Landing, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, literally, he's flying, so it's landing, you make even more sense. So ahead of all this, Cersei and Jamie have their conversation before the armistice meeting. Now, I think they kind of, I think it sort of removed a little of the tension when Cersei went to the mountain and was like, if anything goes wrong, kill Danny first, and then kill Tyrion, and then kill Jon. Yeah. You know, or maybe it was Jon, then Tyrion. I think it was Tyrion, then Jon, but whatever. Definitely it was yeah. <laughs> Danny and then, first. No, whoever, whatever order you want after that. <laughs> and that yeah. said to me that she wasn't going to pull something. I mean, which, oh, actually, it, it didn't mean she wasn't going to pull something. It meant that our guess of her accepting the armistice in order to backstab later, just it made that more likely. That She's not going to pull something right there with everyone all around. She's yeah. not going to like... Especially with the dragon sitting right there. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, what's your plan for that thing? Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of cool talk from multiple people about the historicity of the dragon pit, but we'll talk about that on Wednesday. I just... Frankly, didn't have time to look it all up. I wanted to be more thorough. And, you know, we always are rushing to get everything ready for this episode. And this was episode was 30% longer than the yeah. normal episode, so it's 30% more to cover. A kind of a sneaky thing. We talked about how John maybe was his only time smiling in recent memory until he got with Danny. That was reason for smiling. But he smiled at Gendry when Gendry called him short. <laughs> <laughs> that was maybe the only time he smiled since he got to Dragonstone. Sandor almost smiled when talking with Brienne about Arya. Yeah. And I thought it was fantastic acting because there's a thing that people tell you. You can not you can fake a smile in the mouth, but you can't fake a smile in the eyes unless you're an actor, in which case you've practiced this sort of thing. Yeah. His eyes were smiling, but his mouth wasn't. So it was like the opposite. Like, oh man, that takes that takes expertise. Because that's that only could happen in real life if you genuinely have these sort of mixed emotions. And Sandra's like, I don't smile. But thinking of Arya and how badass she's become and hearing that she's in a good place made him happy. You know, <laughs> but he didn't smile, but his eyes did. It was it was different. It was cool. One of our followers that we actually met at the con, Avril, has recommended this show to me that Sandor, I can't remember the actor's name, or the name of the show. I probably shouldn't have brought this up <laughs> since I'm so unprepared, but but I, I do want to see it. I do want to see him. It's it's more of a drama, you know what I mean? Or maybe a comedy drama. And uh, I am curious to see, you know, him perform in a role outside of this stoic monster of a warrior, you know? <laughs> We also have Tyrion and Bronn talking, which was cool. And he, I, I really, I cheered out loud when he brought up his old line about paying him double. It didn't go as far as I wanted it to. It wasn't yeah. like, because Bronn didn't answer the question on what the double was. But it leads us that way. You know, you can definitely feel the chance of Bronn flipping sides is getting bigger and bigger. Especially with Jaime leaving King's Landing now. Like, that's the guy who promised me my lordship. Yeah. Dang it. Well, I'm not going to get this from Cersei. I didn't think about it until you just now said that. I feel like it's almost guaranteed Bronn is going to yeah. be part of the battle in the north. He's going to... Or at least he's just going to run off somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want he doesn't want any part of dragons he probably doesn't want any part of the dead either but we'll see maybe even the cell swords will start to uh, fight for humanity i guess he is more likely to have the the mentality of that that ironborn guy that theon yep just bumped heads with yeah with your, uh, yeah, i'm just, just gonna go to some island yeah, and get away from all this get yeah. out of here yeah what was that guy's name we looked it up Herig. Herig. yeah that ironborn yeah. who fought theon has a name Herig. 
So yeah, Herrig had uh, has the same idea that Euron had, <laughs> although Euron was lying. Still, someone, some at least one Ironborn had that idea for real. So I also got Podrick and Tyrion, which was cool because Podrick really has, you know, despite Tyrion running off on Podrick, Podrick still really, you know, has strong positive feelings for Tyrion. Tyrion's the one who kind of brought him into what he is today, like kind of made him. What gave, he is. Gave him a chance. Gave him a chance. Yeah. Good, good. That's a great way to put it, yeah. So that was cool. And then Podrick and Brian. Podrick and Brian. <laughs> Podrick and Braun. <laughs> that, they kind of, this was a kind of an unusual, I thought it was kind of a clever way to add tension to the scene and something they kind of had to do. Okay, remember folks, Lena Headey and Jerome Flynn oh. cannot be together in real life because they had a real life relationship that ended badly and apparently they've been like they've shouted at each other like when they're in the same room they're together disruptive to filming when they're yeah. in the same room so they just don't film any scenes with them in the same shot they become brandon stark you know like ned's brother the hothead yeah, <laughs> when they're yeah. near each other like come out and die <laughs> <laughs> this was maybe a clever way to 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 add some tension to the scene because when when they left it was like Wait, what's going on here? Yeah, this, is, that was, this is suspicious. That was very suspicious. Ominous, even. Yeah, it was <laughs> like, a little ominous. We were like, wait a minute, what's going on here? But it was really just, uh, it was probably just this. It was probably just, well, they need to get Jerome out of there. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it was, I thought it was kind of clever because on one hand, I know someone say, Snow in Winterfell says, get Lena and Jerome need to just grow up <laughs> yeah. already and be able to coexist. But... The showrunners can't force them to, you know, they can't like, they can't be threatening to fire them. They can't, Lena Headey has too much clout at this point, you yeah. know, maybe they could kill Bronn off, but they can't recast those characters. Yeah, you know? so <laughs> like, what are they going to do? Like, you got to sympathize for them, they're being unreasonable, what, what are you going to do about it? It does like, make you wonder what other scenes we might have gotten yeah. that we didn't because of that conflict. And it makes you know? it makes Cersei telling Jamie to punish Bronn a little funnier, yeah. too, like, <laughs> you got to punish him, like... <laughs> Is Wait that, a minute, where is this coming from? That wasn't from? in the script? What? <laughs> so it was kind of like, a, a, I thought it was kind of clever that they had to write that in as a way to add tension when, in fact, it was just a meta thing yeah. that they had to deal with. Two for one. So on one hand, it's silly that they have to deal with that, but I like how they dealt with it, given that they were forced to. Marcus Tarly, Superjet. Hey, Marcus from Danny and the Targs. Valar... <laughs> Da Don Chris. <laughs> Dan Dan Chris. <laughs> Dance Dan Chris. That's hard to say. Thanks for almost killing me on my drive home, Sean. <laughs> well, you, you've killed it on our many of our drive homes with your music, so... Uh... Tonight a DJ will save your life. <laughs> Super chat from Chris Boomer. Touching on the idea of Bran looking back through history, do you think he would see Azora High? He might. So we, we talked earlier about the actors just being kind of unleashed to do their thing in this scene. It allowed them, just gave them a lot of leeway to, to do their acting. And Brienne and Jamie and Cersei shared looks there as they were walking past each other, which was very telling. Cersei and Tyrion shared bigger looks. In the behind the scenes, Peter Dinklage says, the look that Lena gives me when I'm walking by, it flattened me. He was like, <laughs> yeah, I know we're all acting here, but man, it just... He like was like legitimately intimidated by her her gaze of pain there. So, well played, actors and actresses. The look that Euron gave Theon was pretty good, too. It was mm -hmm. sort of a scoff, you know, like, yeah. oh, this guy, you know. Yeah, like, Theon was, like, giving him the stare, and, and Euron's like, you're beneath me. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't care. A lot was said. I really appreciate those looks. I think yeah. that the, between the directing, editing, acting, those are some of the best for how understated and how quick that all happened. The, the, some of the best moments of the show. Yeah, it was great. Um, then there was Sandor and Gregor, you know, and they have, that's brought up like, 
Tyrion says, oh, some Clegane's always there to, you know, help yeah, yeah, back great. up this plan or whatever. And so this did two things. It, one, didn't give us Clegane Bowl, but it, two, basically told us that we would we get, get it. It's yeah. like, I'm, you, know, you've, I'm, you know, you know I'm coming. We didn't say I'm coming for you. He said, you've always known who's coming for you. I stole this from another one of our viewers, Berneris. The mountain that bides. They're being patient with Clegane Bowl. The mountain that bides. <laughs> they just wanted to have Clegane Bowl. Dragon Pit was just not a suitable, not a large enough venue. They're holding out for a larger <laughs> venue for the place. Yeah, they need like... Man, the venue is big enough. They needed more of an audience. They're not going to have this for 17 people. They want 17,000 people. Yeah, they need like everyone watching. They need the whole army of the dead arrayed and watching, you know. So this is a little out of place, but uh, a couple things I'm going to throw in here since we're already out of order and I'm worried about forgetting it later on. <laughs> There's a look that uh, a couple looks that Arya gave, one one of which was to Sansa, where she kind of raises her eyebrow. I can't even do it, but <laughs> I, I can't help but wonder how much is that what she chose to do as an actress, or whether she got that instruction. Either way, oh, I thought yeah, it was really yeah. good, and I, I like to give credit for the actors doing or trying different things. That the director may give some instruction or may decide on one or the other, but uh, I, I'm sure they have absorb these characters into themselves and emote as they think the characters would you know i've always kind of perceived acting school as involving a lot like one of the courses when you're doing your you know filling out your syllabus for your acting school which class you can take and you're like yeah i need to take eyebrowing 101 <laughs> or like i'm starting at the advanced eyebrow class i'm a natural you're i not, took drama in high school yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my yeah. other thought by the way and this one is a little more shaky of a theory but it's something that has got in my mind this episode is i wonder what the chances are that the mountain is actually the one that kills cersei i feel like the mountain keeps being he they made him to be such this terrible villain right yeah and it's much more hard to redeem him he's much closer to joffrey and ramsey as being like a one-sided evil bad guy but jamie started off in a similar situation he was painted as this bad guy supporting this bad guy supposed to protect this bad guy and ends up killing him how many times is cersei gonna ask the mountain to do something that the mountain just does before one day he's like not anymore not doing it this time i am giving you, know? you the most skeptical side <laughs> of all time this is I, I don't think there's any chance of this he's not even there's there's no indication he even really has cares or instincts or ethos at all i i agree <laughs> i agree it's a complete stretch but I gotta throw. I gotta. What's that site? I gotta. <laughs> okay, gotta make my my my, uh, my long term bet. My, that would be you get your long shot. My you'll long get shot great bet. odds on that one. Yeah. I'll tell you. Um, yeah. I th and also, even when he was fully conscious, he was just he had no. Yeah. He's just evil. I just. I really don't see it. Anyway, you got your idea out there. Let's move on. <laughs> um, Danny enters late. You know, we kind of talked about that's why she's not in these shots. She's gonna make her late entrance. That was a pretty easy prediction. It turned out to be true. And totally, she also totally stole Cersei's thunder. Yeah. <laughs> and from behind the episode, Lena Headey was like, yeah, and man, did that piss Cersei off so much. Not only does it piss her off that she made them wait, because she's the power player. You know, she doesn't want yeah. someone else making a power play on her. But she sees the dragon, and it's intimidating. And then she sees Danny, who's really hot. And she's like, this just really pisses her off so much. All these factors, like her being late, her being hot, <laughs> her, being, her having a dragon. She's like... Yeah. She just hates her so much. And I, I watched the episode three times now, and every time, so she's like, we've been waiting some time. It cracks me up yeah, every time. Yeah. And she's just like, I apologize for that. Yeah, my apologies. <laughs> and that makes her more mad. That's, that's all she has to say is that I apologize. Like, she's just nonchalant. Yeah, so Euron's interruption when Theon stands up was part of the setup. He had to act 
I think that was part of like acting incorrigible. Maybe he just did this on his own, but I think it was maybe part of the setup for him pretending to leave because he was acting incorrigible to like maybe set the stage for there being a small rift between them. And then Cersei kind of tells him to sit down and then this is this is part of you know the plan for him like oh i'm leaving because i'm terrified and it i think that sold it if not to us also to the the characters yeah you know because i think a lot of people maybe didn't catch if you go back and look at it, it's like oh man of course he's not afraid this is euron we're talking about <laughs> come on he's not just gonna run back to the iron Isles just because of this come on that's euron but i guess Tyrion and and uh, Theon and John didn't sniff, especially John. John doesn't sniff these kind of things out. <laughs> but maybe Davos or Tyrion, someone maybe should have figured this out, or at least maybe they will later. Tyrion has this comment about the last 50 years, and Nicole White, one of our patrons, wants us to explain that. What he means, they're all arguing about who is whose past transgressions are larger. Like, your father did this, you know, about Danny, and Danny can say, well, you're. You know, your, your father did this and blah, blah, blah. You know, your father killed my, you know, my ne- ordered the death of my uh, nephews, yeah. you know, and, or my nephew and, and niece and all that. So there's, and that's what Tyrion's saying. Look, the last 50 years, we've both done all these awful things to each other. We're not going to get anywhere if we dwell on the past because we were all guilty here. I think that's what he was saying. He's like, we have to worry about the future or else there won't be a future. Yeah, that you, you could go on a lot with this if you consider that, there was the rebellion in the first place, you know, like that. Yeah. Danny can make an argument that I'm not a usurper. I'm the rightful one to be in the throne in the first place. And then Tyrion can see them going down this argument and it's not going to get them anywhere. It's like, look, let's worry about the here and now, not the past 50 years. Yeah. In addition to, um, well, let's, 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 let's look at this real quick. Also predicted the white fascinated Kyburn. Also yeah. an easy prediction that played out. Glad they did that. And in fact, the actor, Anton Lesser, he was also in behind the episode talking about, he was, he was geeking out. He was like, oh, my character is like, oh, of course he's going to be interested in this. <laughs> he's like, he was fascinated. He was like, he recognized the, the threat, but he was, his, his scientific mind was just too, oh my goodness, this is so interesting, you know. I imagine after the fact, Jamie might have had words with Carver. Like, How did you save that hand, man? Why'd you... <laughs> yeah, why'd you burn that? Why'd you keep that? Could have burned the other hand. <laughs> so Cersei reacting very viscerally to the undead, which, I mean, it came right at her. <laughs> and other people, Jamie, everyone's reactive. They're like, oh my goodness. Now, this is the part that I, to me, this is how it kind of boils down. I've been saying that, you know, the, go, the plan to go capture a white maybe was weird but i didn't think it was as bad as a lot of people did the part i thought was bad is the part that's still bad which is them trusting cersei yeah. and that's clearly yeah. just not happening they were, they were we were all right to say don't trust cersei but it really is kind of proves the point that you have to see it to believe it and you have to see it to feel the effect to be truly terrified it worked on jamie it worked on cersei even though it didn't change her calculus she was legitimately terrified but she still after thinking about it was still like yep but still this doesn't change anything. You know, I'm still looking out for number one here. And number one is me. <laughs> and me and her baby. Yeah. And it really affected a lot of people. And I wonder if it's going to affect Bronn. You know, like Bronn saw the dragon. He was like, um, nope. Now he yeah. sees this. Maybe, well, he's, he didn't actually see this because he left with Podrick. Yeah. But, you is know, he he'll heal the rumors. Double nope? Or is he yeah. like, okay, yes. You know, like. And it had a huge impact on Brienne. I mean, Brienne was like F loyalty to Jamie afterwards. Yeah. Like Brienne, of all people, yeah. who like was going to go down with the Stannis ship even after he was dead. I mean, the Renly ship, even longer, like just all that, you know, like she was, she's as loyal as they get. And she's like, this doesn't matter anymore. So it did have 
the intended effect on like just spooking people into being like, wow, yes, let's prepare for the Army of the Dead when you hear about it on paper. But when you see it, it's like, all right, this, <laughs> this yeah. touches you on an emotional level and it get, you know it kind of spurs people to action. So I, I thought it was kind of neat how that played out. And By the way, real quick, I want to point out, I appreciate that when... Danny was first approaching on the dragon. Yeah. And they're like waiting for her and you hear the screeching background. Jamie perks up, stands up. He's like alert to this danger. He's heard that yeah, he's before. heard that sound before. Everyone else is maybe confused and looking around, but he was like ready to <laughs> run like, or fight or whatever. Dragon? Yeah. <laughs> and I loved watching Drogon crawl along the rock there. He's so intimidating. They make that dragon look just very just very terrifying. Okay, so let's let's explain something here. Why did Cersei want that pledge from John? It's actually very straightforward if you if you break it all down. And this is why she made a distinction, which is like, well, this is why there's nothing else to, to speak to. This is why she walked away, and this is why it was fake. She walked away even knowing she was going to agree to it. She knew that they would come back around to try to encourage them again, or she knew that she would accept it later. She wanted, she knows that John won't lie. She read that situation perfectly. She's like, if John makes his pledge, he's going to keep it. So she got, she wanted him to pledge not to attack her so that she could attack Danny. And John would like, well, I gotta, I gotta obey my oath here. I promise not to attack her. That was all part of her plan to backstab them after agreeing to the armistice. That actually fits perfectly with what she was doing. Again, Cersei gets John to agree to to a pledge that John, being a man of honor, will not break, even if she breaks her word. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, I mean, if she attacked him, he would be like, okay, we're gonna fight back. But of course that it was ruined by Danny, by John having already bent the knee to Danny. So he can't make the pledge. But Cersei was right that he would have. You know, that that would have worked. One thing that's kind of funny about this Tyrion and Cersei thing is that we had this moment about Danny and, and, and Tyrion talking about heroic things. And this was fairly heroic, even though I just spelled out that Cersei would never have killed Tyrion. Never. She wanted this to happen. She wanted more negotiation to happen. She just wanted to play. She just wanted to, to negotiate for more, basically. She, you know, this was kind of like him going beyond the wall. Like, this was his going beyond the wall moment. Going into extreme danger. You know, he didn't know that Cersei, this was all part of Cersei's plan. But... Right. All along, even it even comes complete with undead, <laughs> with Gregor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> being there and Gregor nearly killing him. He drinks his wine. He's like, oh, phew, I got through that. You know, this is where there's another sort of subtle behind-the-scenes play going on here. Cersei wanted Tyrion to to figure out that she was pregnant without saying it. This was revealed in the behind the episode. It was a bluff that she was making to get Tyrion to read it but it was actually a multi-level bluff, to use a poker term. Her real bluff was that she was not going to be part of the armistice. That was her real bluff. Yeah. Um, but the, he, so he, but he did the, she did the kind of belly thing on purpose to get, no, that's not my theory. I didn't catch this. I, there, I, this was what they said from behind the episode. So this is, uh, Tyrion thinks he's figured something out and has kind of caught her, but mm -hmm. she wanted him to figure that out. So that's, again, it bears mention book Cersei doesn't have this level of cunning and that throws people <laughs> off and that gets people to forget that show Cersei is far more capable. Now we get to Jamie and Cersei splitting apart. Some people wonder why this was the thing that finally pushed him away from her. There's a lot of it here. One, he legitimately thinks that this, this the white had a legitimate effect on him. He really, really wants to fight for the living. And so he was legitimately surprised that that wasn't the plan with Cersei. It's like, what? You know, you really, you, you're playing on backstabbing? What's up with that? 
And she's like, you always thought you were the stupidest Lannister or whatever, you know. And so that was part of it, too. Not only that Jamie is very much against this plan of backstabbing the, the realm in order to, you know, when they're all trying to band together, but he legitimately... Uh, was upset that she didn't include him in the plan. You know, she's like, this is also yeah. shows that they're both not trusting each other as much. Like, she argues against him for talking to Bronn and Tyrion behind her back. And he's, you know, not included in this, you know, plan of betrayal here. So... It wasn't that this is the moment. Is it? This is the fun. This is the last straw. It's a culmination of things that yeah. are going on forever. And thing, finally, yeah. this is it. It could happen in different order, you know? And yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. Now... One thing to get hype about here was I've been really excited about the possibility of the Golden Company. Now that we know Euron is going to pick them up, there's almost nothing that's going to stop that from happening now. Like, we're going to see the Golden Company next season. I, like, I'm like 98% on that, and I think y'all probably agree roughly with that percentage. And Cersei, they doubled the size of the Golden Company, by the way. Not just from the book doubling it, but they said before that it was 10,000 mercenaries in the show. And now it's 20,000. Yeah, 20, that's 000. right, now 20. So they just kind of, like, when, when Sam's brought but like, again, I don't care. <laughs> they got bigger so what yeah. they got more money to work with yeah. Yeah. So, yeah so what you know that's not a big deal but more importantly she mentions elephants mm-hmm. which is awesome because that means we're, we might get elephants next season and we've already you know we've already sort of seen uh, you know we already started we saw woolly mammoths already right mm-hmm. yeah. and we have already seen mastodon Shay is going to pull up this image here right. and I'm talking about the band mastodon the, the, the members of the band Mastodon were uh, undead wildlings in the Hard Home episode. And there's, you can see this image she's pulling up. That is Brent Hines right there in the middle. If you know Brent Hines, he is unmistakable right there. Those guys is, are from Atlanta too, by yeah, the way. Mm-hmm, yes, they have an extra connection to... I've seen all of them at shows. They all, they're all just, you know, concert rats. They go to all the metal shows and I see them there. <laughs> and they're freaking awesome. I mean, if you're into metal, I mean, they are... I, I love Mastodon. <laughs> I've seen yeah, them 15 times like, probably. I want to call them revolutionary not, might not be quite the word but man they are on another level for most I most love, metal bands love yeah. mastodon it's true um so that's really huge obviously the, the the something to look forward to the golden company and their elephants and this army hopefully we get the the golden skulls and on their motto i'm really hyped for that possibility Hopefully now, we get a couple new characters. Hopefully they have, you know, some captains that are some interesting characters. I see theories floating around that maybe Dario will be their captain. That would be a little random for him to become the captain of the Golden Company for his large army. I mean, they could explain it, but I, uh, people think that it could create a love triangle, but it wouldn't. She rejected him. Danny rejected him. There's no love triangle, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that would, well, maybe it could be. That would be a reason for her to, you know, well, she finds out that John is related so she can't marry him so maybe dario getting dario would mean getting the golden company on her side so that would be like a political reason to go get with dario to, to get the golden company on her it side. it seems like a lot for dario to abandon the responsibility that she gave him and, and become the leader of the golden company and and danny to accept him after having abandoned the responsibility she gave him and to leave john to do it like uh that's a bit of a stretch and also it wouldn't mean that the golden company would have to go along with dario switching sides like wait we're motivated by money. Why are we switching sides? Now, yeah. now there's connection in the show, in the books. There's connect. Gold can we have connections to the Targaryens that I'm not going to get into here. So that could come into play. They might also but change they, their mind if they see a freaking flying ice dragon and uh, zombies or whatever. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Just like uh, other people changed their mind when they were actually presented with the problem. They're like, yeah. okay, that changes everything. <laughs> but some people just want to go to an island and avoid all this. The Golden Company might be also. They like, might just say, well, the thing is, once they're there, if they need urine to bring them over, they can't just leave. Yeah, if Euron says, no, you got to stay. Yeah, Euron's like, I'm not taking you back. Screw that. <laughs> I got other things to do. 
Oh, yeah. And we saw Jamie leaving. This is huge, right? He's... I guess it didn't come down to Cox for him, did it? He didn't stay with his family. He didn't stay with for gold. He didn't stay. He's going to fight for humanity. Yeah. So that's kind of cool that it was. It came down to a larger purpose. Maybe know? he just wants to be with Brienne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was reminded. He's like, man, she wouldn't make me do this. <laughs> and uh, and no one would cock about incest if I got her pregnant. You know. Anyway. Yeah, like he already doesn't want to have to go up against these dragons. <laughs> and but, now he sees the real threat of these zombies. Yeah. And he sees it even in the face of all this. Cersei still won't listen to reason, at least his reason. You know. Yeah. That now there is a, another factor that wasn't there before that he's still leaving despite. He has a, a child on the way, so you, I, you know, maybe reasons that we're building got knocked down a notch when he finds out Cersei's pregnant, but they get knocked back up a notch when he sees this zombie. So that's true. Now this scene had an extra layer to it. It wasn't just, you know, the show is often does a good job of, of doing multiple things in one scene. This is a good example. Not only is Jamie leaving, but snow when King's Landing. That's a huge part of that. Shay is pulling this image up. Yep. And this is a shot of snow in the dragon pit. There's also, of course, we, we also see shots of just snow falling all over King's Landing itself. And on his glove is the first time we see it. So that's huge, right? This is yet another reason why I thought of Night King's Landing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, but as we brought up earlier, Cersei can't exactly count on keeping a secret that she plans to betray the Dan and Johnny. Dan and Johnny. <laughs> John and Danny. <laughs> Whoops. From now on. From now on. So yeah. The vice presidents. It's really interesting Dan whether how much Jamie will will tell other people about this, or whether they'll be like, "Yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, we knew she was going to do that." <laughs> but they'll they would know as soon as the armies don't come north anyway. You know, they would they would figure that out pretty quickly. So it, you know, I guess they're just going to learn a little bit sooner. And yeah, so you noticed this line about John saying, uh, "Yeah, it's just not only did John say that the undead general won't negotiate, because I was really hoping that we would see that he has motivations, that he might have some plan or some desire that he would come to John or some other character with. We would hear him speak, or maybe even it happens through a vision with Bran. But not only does John say that it won't, but I read an article by Kim Renfro where she quoted D and D as saying that they don't have any intentions of making them speak." That they okay. think that it would take away from his mystery and his menacing nature that he's death. He's just death. Uh, and death doesn't yeah. need to speak. So, okay. Yeah. Now, still, maybe you'll change <laughs> your mind to reevaluate. We'll see. That's not enough to make you give up on it. Yeah. Today. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Smith super chat. Will Theon's rescue of Yara reveal that Euron isn't hiding on the Iron Islands like he said, thereby uncovering the Golden Company plot accidentally? Well, in fact we were kind of going there next. So stay tuned just another minute here, uh, Emma, and we'll get to that. But short answer, yes. And what's funny about that is Theon thinks he's going and sailing towards his uncle. He's like, oh boy, I'm going to do this brave thing. He's going to get there and be like, huh, well, that's lucky. <laughs> Where's my uncle? I mean, I'm glad he's not here, but how did I get so lucky? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, your uncle's an Essos. Say what? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Where are we now? Yeah, so that was a cool scene. Theon and John, it it had this feel to it of, there was a lot, another thing where there's a lot going on, even though it's just this conversation, but there's a lot of things happening. First of all, we, we have John with his forgiveness. And John's forgiveness is important because it's, it's, it's consistent with his theme of forgiving people. He forgave Jorah. 
he forgave the Umbers and Karstark kids, you know, and uh, he forgave all the... No, yeah. <laughs> okay, he didn't forgive people who were working against the Great War. Anyone who's helping him fight the Great War, he's cool with. But if you're trying to kill him who's fighting the Great War, you're not cool. <laughs> so yeah. Ollie and Alistair Thorne, you're the exception. You get hanged. Everyone else is an ally, a potential ally. If so, you actually kill John, he'll seek revenge on you. <laughs> yeah. So a major theme of this scene is that John was saying that Theon is a Stark. This is cool because he's telling Theon things that he could be telling himself in the mirror later. <laughs> he's yeah, like, yeah. you're, you know, Ned Stark is a part of you, even though he's not your father. That was such a setup. Like, oh, we were already like so sure there was going to be this R plus LJ reveal this episode. And they were like, up. Oh, now I'm even more sure. I was already 100% sure. Now I'm 110% sure because that was such a setup for that scene. But again, it accomplished multiple things at once. It got Theon. It was really good for Theon. It gave him motivation. It kind of settled some things in his mind. And John's semi-forgiveness, because he said, I can't forgive you for everything. But the things I can forgive you, I do. You know, and it really, you know, that meant a lot to Theon. I think it's uh, one, I've, I brought this up a couple times this season, the idea that sometimes something that's in someone, some frustration or anger or whatever it is, that when they have the opportunity to express it, yeah, they're relieved of it. Yes, and uh, it doesn't necessarily totally go away, but it, it a, a portion of it is off their shoulders, a burden off their shoulder. And I think that happened for both John and Theon here. Theon got to express his regret to John, and John got to express his frustration with Theon, and. I, I think it's much easier for them to move forward from this point. You know, like John yeah. was just barely not knocking Theon out cold the first time he saw him, you know. And I think now they are where they can accept each other or work together or whatever, you know. Definitely. Yeah, so so that was awesome. I like that scene, especially more upon reflection. Uh, Lady Ardross points out that it was very ironic for John to be so very Ned-like in an episode where he is finally revealed to not be Ned's yeah, son, yeah. you know, which we all knew, but... I remember the other thing I was going to say about that moment there is it sets up the idea that even if John discovers some different technical, biological uh, parentage, that he's still going to consider himself Ned Stark's son. Yeah. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, he will. He was yeah. still raised by Ned. That's still who he is. Nature versus nurture. And it also win will, for nurture. It will also <laughs> allow for him to keep the name John. Because yeah. I think it will be weird and unlikely for the show to start calling him Aegon. No, he's not I changing his name. I think he's going to be John. Maybe he'll start being John Targaryen. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. But I can imagine he sticks to being John. Yeah, Snow. I totally. I'm 100 with you there. There is like zero percent chance in my mind, in my personal opinion, mind that he changes his name to Aegon. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree. He's John. Tyrion um, told him to accept who he was, and he has. Yeah. And he is, and some technical detail won't change that. You know? Yeah. Also, Lady Arardras says his honesty with Cersei. It meaning in the dragon pit when he just refuses to admit what's really going on, you know, even though it ruins everything, ruins everything. Um, just like Ned confronted Cersei about her children, like, you need to flee because Robert's going to come kill you. He's like, he, she's like, what about my wrath? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about my mercy, Ned Stark? Should have listened there, Ned. <laughs> but, uh, but see, John has multiple, can come back from the dead. So, you know, you can get away with that sort of thing <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you are, uh, you have multiple lives or whatever. Ned should have known better because he doesn't have two lives or three lives <laughs> or whatever. So let's talk a little more about the Theon Yara thing. A lot of people kind of shook their heads at this scene. And, you know, I don't know. It, it, in one hand, it's kind of easy to overlook because it's such a small thing. Theon going to rescue his sister seems really small fry as compared to everything else that's happening on. So it's kind of easy to overlook some of this stuff. But again, as our super chatter mentioned, 
there's there, it ties into the main plot. If he goes to the Iron Islands and sees that Euron's not there, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big tie-in. And also, he played out both sides of his heritage there in that scene. He had to be a Stark to go rescue his sister, to do the, quote, right thing. But to get those men to follow him, he had to be a Greyjoy. He had to be tough and fight and rise again harder and stronger after being beaten down and, you know, smiling when he's being smashed in the crotch. It was pretty funny. <laughs> it energizes him, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Removes the effects of concussions. <laughs> it, makes him, it makes him matter. It's like uh, Hulk Hogan being hit with a chair. It just yeah. makes him stronger. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's entering a state of uh, Hulkamania. <laughs> Theon's got his Theonomaniacs following him now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move on. Let's talk about Winterfell. Sansa and Littlefinger have their worst case scenario conversation, which was kind of interesting. Is yet another thing that that he taught Sansa too well because yeah, she used it against yeah. him. <laughs> and thinking through his worst case scenario is far worse than you know thinking through Arya's. Well, I guess not. Maybe not exactly because. The worst case scenario for Arya in her mind was Arya killing her and becoming Lord Lady Winterfell. It's not much worse. It doesn't get much worse than that. But it and does get worse unlikely. than that. They're so unlikely. They're so unlikely too. Yes. Right. Yeah. But but it does. Littlefinger is worse. You know, even killing her. If he kills, you know, if someone dies and splits the Stark apart, Starks apart. You know, maybe to Sansa it doesn't make a difference if she's dead. But really, objectively, she could look at that as worse. You know, like I care about my family. I don't want them. People I care what worse. happens after I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, interestingly, though, Littlefinger did predict Danny and, and John hooking up, which was completely accurate. You yeah. know, and that, that feeds that feeds along the line of, of like Sansa's last message to him is like, "You taught me well." You know, I won't forget the things you taught me. And that was yeah. one of the things that like his way of thinking did teach her a lot. It's just his conclusions are not are where she they differ. Like, yes, it's it's important to think these things through. It's important to consider the worst, but also, you know. We I have much different goals. You know, Sansa has much different goals. She's not after. She, she's not just after herself. She she has much different ambitions than Littlefinger does. When Littlefinger is often doing the worst thing, he's going to be more suspicious of other people doing the worst thing. Yeah. Sansa isn't someone who's always doing the worst thing, so it's not what she defaults to think about. Yeah. Littlefinger gets her to think in that way, and then she does, and she realizes that he's the bad guy. You know, yeah. so it's uh, and it's a thing in real life, right? Where we've all run into people that are very distrusting like they don't tr a lot of things they don't try and I don't mean like skeptical I'm talking about distrusting like there's a difference between skeptical and distrusting I mean they're constantly questioning motives they're constantly questioning people's integrity and honesty generally because they either experience a lot of dishonesty in their early life or because they themselves are dishonest people so it's yeah. like this is their worldview like Cersei is thinking that they're all going to betray her because that's what she would do right right yeah. and this, this is that same kind of thing Littlefinger is of that mind that people are like that. But Sansa's his weakness because he has real feelings for her. He had real feelings for Kat. As as off base as they were, as unrealistic as they were, they were real, right? That's something you pointed out many times that, you know, his motivation is this, his motivation is that, but his feelings for Sansa are real. Yeah. And as, as evil, weird, corrupt, creepy, whatever he is he also is intelligent and experienced and has lessons to teach you know and also you know you can learn good lessons from from bad people don't be like that person yeah <laughs> that's how to not be you know but and ultimately you know his feelings are what prevented him from seeing the mm, quote-unquote obvious seeing his, the you know the thing that was going to bite him in the butt yeah was and yeah, yeah. he couldn't say anything without it being turned around on him he had dug himself so so deep into a hole with his actions there around Sansa and, and Winterfell yeah. that 
everything he said, every argument he tried to make, Sansa immediately had the answer for it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And often he's the one that immediately has the answer when, when he's going at it with Varys or Cersei or Tyrion, you know, he's like ready with the next line. Yeah. Sansa was the one. She He did teach her well. She was ready. She knew what he would say and she knew how she would, she would respond to it and he had no outs. <laughs> so Sansa, Bran, Arya, and they're kind of surprised for Littlefinger. To me, that was, by the way, that was the big giveaway. I mean, I, we already kind of suspected... Because we talked through all the possibilities as much as we can. We yeah. kind of suspected that Arya and Sansa would work it out. Especially because the trailer line about the, the wolves, the pack survives, that sort of stuff. But when, he, when she says, bring Arya to me, when she's to the guard, I was like, okay, this is interesting. But when Bran was sitting there with her, I was like, she's not going to execute Arya with Bran sitting Bran, right there. Yeah. That, was, that was the first giveaway. <laughs> Second of all, she... Very, she says, well, you're accused of blankety blank and murder. I'm like, what murder is Arya accused of? I mean, yeah, we know she's killed people, but what murder would Sansa be accusing her of? What yeah. murder is Sansa even quite aware of? Exactly. She, that he doesn't know any specifics. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the other thing. It's like, ah. So I was like jumping in my seat like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> I was like laughing because I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew it wasn't going to be Arya. We usually have, a, I don't know. 10 or a dozen or so people over each Sunday to watch the episode. Yeah. And there was just a round of applause. Yeah, people at that were moment. clapping. Yeah. All <laughs> of our, a bunch of friends clapped like, as soon as his yeses throat was and laughs and yeah. then just a round of applause just broke out. Yeah, it was really funny. It was it was a great reaction. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of cool. So we have then we have the fun, kind of final scene with them of Arya and Sansa coming together and having their nice talk and... You know, it was good banter, you know, Arya's, but you're also still weird and annoying and creepy, you know, whatever. That was cool, kind of sisterly, and Arya's like, she's like, yeah, I kind of am. (laughs) And she says, you wouldn't have survived, I wouldn't have survived what you did. And Sansa's like, you would have survived what I did. You know, they're being, they're being cool to each other. That's what we wanted. We know we want to know, again, it's one of those things that the way they got to this point was like, eh, some problems with it, you know, but we kind of knew they'd get here, and I'm glad they did, and it was a good resolution it's kind of like the thing with a cliffhanger with Jamie falling into the water. When you do that, you leave all us viewers who are watching the episode and taking notes and having, you know, discussions online, YouTube videos. We're going to try to figure this out. What does this mean? Where is it going? You know, so when you have these two sisters going at each other, we're taking it back. We're trying to figure it out. What could this be? And people start coming up with theories that it's Arya is really the waif right now. You know, like yeah. when you do something that's hard for us to accept, we come up with these weird theories to explain it, you know. Yeah. And so it in the end, it it's the simple thing. They're just working together to take out Littlefinger, but it's not the standard presentation. Usually we're seeing the POV of all these characters. When you have two yeah. different characters that we usually see the POV working together and not seeing any of that coordination, it, it, it's it's fair to call it bad writing, maybe, you know. Yeah. But in the end, we get Littlefinger facing his comeuppance. We get the sisters bonding with each other. And, you know, maybe we stumble through how they get there, but they hit the moment that they need to for us to be happy with things. So We have, uh, but what's funny is a little bit of a subtle undertone to Arya and Sansa coming together there. They were looking the wrong way. They were, on, they were looking out over Winterfell's front gate towards the south. And again, mm-hmm. they are still largely... Not in the dark about the army. They know the army of the dead is there, but they haven't seen it. They haven't seen undead yet. Yeah. They, they feel like they just accomplished this great thing. But relative perspective, you know, when, yeah. and when John shows up, they're like, John, guess what? We took out Littlefinger. He's like, who? Look, 
he, he didn't we matter. Got this, yeah. <laughs> Let me I tell you something. I didn't care about him, really. Yeah. Like He was another one of those dudes I just forgave. Now, John like, might have cared if he came back to Winterfell and Littlefinger had successfully driven a wedge between them. Then yeah. John would know, what the yeah, heck is yeah. going on here? It would you be know? a problem. So yeah. John, John wouldn't be the first time that John didn't give Sansa the proper credit for her yeah. position here. But That's a good point. So... It might be, and that was, you know, kind of how that scene transitioned. You know, they're like, they're looking forward, and then it kind of comes up and moves forward and goes beyond them. And we go to the wall. One of my favorite images from all season is coming up on screen here, thanks to Ashea. This, this side view of the wall where it juts out to the sea, just so awesome, or just beautiful. And this is one of those kind of things that, you know... It's a TV moment. You know, you kind of know what's happening. You kind of know everything that's going to happen minus a few details. You're like, as soon as that walker shows up, you're like, the wall's coming down. They're not, they, they wouldn't yeah. just walk up to the wall and stand there. You know, they're not just like, we're here to intimidate you. You knew, and it was like, up, oh, the dragon can melt the wall or something. It was like, up, oh, it's happening. And I knew that even more because of the soundtrack. <laughs> I was listening to the soundtrack all weekend. The soundtrack was put out, I think, maybe last Thursday or not, pretty recently. And the final few titles of the songs were somewhat spoilery. It was like four songs from the end was you won't like no one walks away from me, which is what Cersei said there, right? And it was like and the scenes were in order. And like before that there were scenes that were that corresponded to earlier episodes. And it all lined up like the first one was like Dragonstone, like really early on. That was like the first episode of the season. So it was like these songs are in order of the season. And the last two songs were The Army of the Dead and Winter is Calm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. hmm, <laughs> given our existing predictions and the likelihood of the wall coming down, I guess that's so. As soon as that dragon appears, you know the wall. So it's like you know everything that's going to happen, but it was still awesome. It was still like, wow, this is so cool. Look at that dragon. Look at that blue fire. I yelled shadow fire at the screen right before <laughs> he breathed it. And he was like, Viserion is doing his thing. That's something we'll talk about more about on Wednesday, by the way, because that's obviously a book reference for anyone who caught that. And... It was a well. It was a blast. We'll say <laughs> he blasted the wall, and we had a blast watching it. It was a great payoff, even though we knew it was coming. You know, it was one of those things that you just you, you, until you experience it, you know, you can't. You can't. It's just like the characters until they see the dead. They, you know, it's, you see that wall coming down. It's like, oh my god, the wall's coming down. <laughs> <laughs> We've known it was going to happen probably since the first episode of the first season. That thing's coming down one day. You know, if you really were to sit down and think about, it, I wonder if that wall is always going to be there. Like, nope, one day it's going to come down. We don't know when. Apparently seven more years, seven years later. <laughs> <laughs> and at first we're like worried about Tormund and and Beric. But as we said earlier, they definitely survived. They got outside of the radius. They ran along the wall. And I suppose they'll just walk to the next castle. Or walk all the way to Castle Black. I'm sure the show won't bother to deal with this. But I imagine that in itself would be an adventure. They weren't prepared to go to the next castle. Yeah, they don't have food Do or anything. Do they have food, yeah. wood to burn? Uh, yeah, you know, how are they? Bad, yeah, they're in a bad bad way. Super chat from Remy Martin. Danny and Cersei are very good at ordering other people to kill. Either of them personally kill someone next season. Uh, nah. The Cerse, everywhere Cersei goes, she has the mountain. <laughs> These are, and he, oh man, he almost killed, we, I really thought he was going to kill Jamie there. They really, because it was like, oh, he didn't kill Tyrion. Are they yeah. going to do a second false... I guess so. I, I was, by the way, ready for that to happen. I was, yeah. Uh, it was, I, I thought that what might happen is that the mountain pulls a sword and swings, and Jamie blocks it with his gold hand, and Cersei's like, stop, cut this out. You know, she might. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't quite go there, but I was I was ready for it to happen. I, 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 it is a, a, a frustration I have. We've mentioned this a couple times, that the 
willingness to kill off main characters seems to be gone. They, you know, they do it a, a couple times up through season four, but since season four, I don't think we've really seen a major character. It depends on how you define major, but I agree. I agree. Like, there's this core that's been untouched. I think there's eight. That there's just no way. Yeah, we might finally get a chance of some of them dying in the next in the final yeah. season. Yeah, but but it seems like the beyond the eight that there's no way. They, I might have even named eight that there's no way a season or two ago. Even season four, I might have think that they were also there at that time. Um, but there's like eight more beyond that that I would not be surprised getting killed until now. I would I would be surprised now if Braun died because I I just he just keeps living. I expect Braun. Brian, you know, there's Brian a was a top pick for death, both yeah. all throughout season five and season six. We were like, yeah. Bronze toast, Bronze toast. And, this. and if they're not even <laughs> willing to kill Tormund, you know, well, then they're definitely not going to kill Bronze. That's how, that's where I'm at now. Yeah. And, uh, and it's frustrating for me to be at that point, you know. I think that, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's still some characters that I wonder about, like Davos. Davos feels like he's in that second group eight, not that first group eight. Like, right. He, yeah. Davos is absolutely a huge fan favorite now, and they want to keep him around, but they might. He doesn't put himself in harm's way, end. though. You right, know what I mean? So that's why really, I don't. I'm not suspicious of him dying in the first place. But Tormund does, Sandor does, Bronn does, and they still keep not dying yeah. anyway. So there's so much, like just the level of destruction that happens at the wall here. Shay is pulling up this awesome image of the dragon breathing fire. Like this is just so cool. I love shots. We're going to be seeing this in memes forever, and, and good because <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> and just goes to sh what can they they can do so much i mean like we talked about earlier briefly can he can this dragon just like take down the walls of winterfell just by breathing at him like freeze it so or burn it or weaken it so much that it just kind of collapses or something yeah. or at least destroys the gate you know it just they're so powerful i mean we've already seen danny's dragons too right yeah yeah and, and when and and jamie's like we can't beat we just can't beat this in the field you know i guess we can go put up a fight but we're not going to win this fight you know imagine when we see uh, Danny's armies laid out there, all those unsullied, right? Imagine yeah. a dragon just, just take them all out in one swoop. You know, I mean, generally speaking, a, a thing that they don't do accurately in most modern military movies yeah. is you see soldiers walking together. They don't walk that close to each other mm. because they're more susceptible to grenades and mines. Yeah. They keep yeah. spread out. But that's hard to show on film. It's hard to keep everyone spread out as they need to be. Yeah. But that is a thing that they would need to do if they're really facing dragons. The armies can't be lined up in these dress-right-dress dress formations. They have to be way more spread out because they get taken out way too And there is, historical there is historical precedent for that. When the Dance of the Dragons, the, the Dance of the Dragons happened, there were 18 or 19 living dragons. There were no large-scale battles. It was all small groups, small armies fighting small armies because of that exact thing. Yeah. Like, don't get all together. Yeah. <laughs> that just makes it easy for the dragons. So you got to do like the Dornish did and, and don't stay in your castles. Just go off and hide in the mountains. Go off and, you know, don't have bases. Just, you know, scatter and come together for guerrilla tactics, that sort of thing. Yeah. So that might be what they have to do with the walkers. Yeah. If, they, if we're all together, they can you know, surround us and kill us and then just take all the bodies and add it to their army. It's yeah. like, yeah. All right, a couple of super chats here. Uh, Leslie Powell, what will Melisandre do to help with the long night upon her return to Volantis? We're, well, we're definitely going to have a few other comments about that um, later, but I do think that bringing people, followers of R'hllor is very likely because I think that's something from the book that seems, that's not happening, but seems like it's, it's foreshadowed. Maybe she'll seduce the Night King. <laughs> <laughs> Night Melisandre will become Night Queen. That's you know wow. What amazing if amazing if wow. What if Night King kills her and raises her? 
Mm. Uh, that, that's interesting, <laughs> but I just thought of something that's actually, I think, more likely. I cannot believe I didn't think of before. She does say she's going to die. What, whatever Melisandre does, she might not even realize what it will be that happened, but how is she going to do it? Mm. What has she needed in the past? Sacrifice. Yeah. King's blood. That's what Melisandre is going to do is come back and say, hey, John. Hey, Danny. Someone. <laughs> Sacrifice Cersei. <laughs> there you go that's winning that's that's two birds with one stone <laughs> if we can talk a little bit about what might happen after this we talked about like john has that moment where he's talking about troop movement he talks about sending the unsullied on ships to white harbor while the dothraki march up the king's road towards uh you know just towards winterfell the, the straight road where maybe i had those backwards but whatever these plans might be interrupted by I don't think they realize that the Night King they certainly don't know the Night King's already through the wall like they they don't know how Night Kings get past the wall they didn't see the dragon get raised the dragons fell through the ice before they left this may not have even occurred to them yeah so Bran is going to be able to tell them though because Bran saw this remember this was we saw the scene through at first Bran was looking through the raven's eyes Bran witnessed this so Bran's immediately like Sam uh, forget about all this John Sand stuff. You know, <laughs> we have a bigger problem. <laughs> a flying problem. So that's maybe where Sam's like, well, I've got some books on that. Tell me, you know, and then maybe that's maybe that's where part of season eight begins with some of them looking up answers to all that. But so many people, I know I talked about this a little bit before, but just think about all the people that are going to Winterfell. It's hard to imagine all these people living. You know, Danny, her dragons, John, Tyrion. Missandei, Davos, Arya, Sansa, Brienne, Podrick, Sandor, Jamie, Bran himself, you know. And other people who it's not unlikely for Bronn to head that way. Bronn maybe, or whatever, or, or Tormund and Beric may have to flee the wall, and of course they might go to Winterfell. Dolores Ed may have to flee to Winterfell if the wall, you know, or may they just, may not flee, but just the, the Night King is just ignoring them because they're just a couple of humans in his rear. That's not a problem. So they, if they want to help, they need to come south. That's something we joked about, remember, uh, before, like, Maybe the safest place to be is beyond the wall now. Yeah. Just, just, just there are the army of the dead's in the south. Just go off. Maybe it's not as cold up there now Quick, that they're flee gone. Flee north. Yeah, everybody flee north. Repair <laughs> the wall the gates, and hide on that side. Open the gates, go to the far. <laughs> if, if they bring winter south with them, like maybe it's actually warmer up there too. <laughs> yeah, remember what it looked like when the children made the walkers? It was all verdant and green up there. It'd be tradesies. Yeah, just, yeah, just. <laughs> Night King, you get King's Landing. We get the Arrowhead Mountain. So maybe Littlefinger got off easy here. Maybe he's, <laughs> he's got a knife to the throat. That's relatively quick to what right. the rest of the north is facing i hope they burn his body yeah white little finger advising the night king yeah his little <laughs> finger is still moving even after he's dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah they know to burn the bodies i think yeah. and we even saw the giants the, the dead giants again that was really cool walking through there just i love how the de- army just walks up there stands and just like politely waits for the wall to come in and just like, all right let's Move keep going again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for that okay Let's get into some questions. We had some questions that we gathered ahead of time. And, of course, there's still time to get in some Super Chats, but we are getting close to the end here. Looks like the uh, dancing segue didn't steal too much time. Steal? It should have been the feature. We should have just <laughs> killed the rest of the episode and just done nothing but dances. All this Game of Thrones talk is getting away with my dancing. <laughs> <laughs> First question is from the snow in Winterfell. First thing I thought when Arya killed Baelish was that she could use that face next season. Maybe down in King's Landing. Maybe that's how Cersei goes down. Instead of sacrificing Cersei for King's blood to, <laughs> to yeah. Melisandre, yeah. maybe we got this instead. Maybe, uh, yeah, she didn't, yeah, someone asked, did she thrash his 
Flash's throat, so the face was unharmed. Well, I don't know why you'd stab him in the face anyway. It's not a very efficient <laughs> way to kill somebody. But uh, uh, let's think about how Arya's killed people in the past. Marin Trent. <clears throat> I guess she didn't want his face. That's one way that yeah. you could kill someone. We did not need that again. <laughs> <laughs> like with Bran and Sansa watching, she's going to go with a nice, you know, like I'll tone down the ultraviolence <laughs> with my family watching. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's totally on the table. No, like not everyone's going to know that Littlefinger was killed there and, and they're not exactly about to betray our Cersei. Yeah. If know, everyone to, did know, Cersei. That means everyone was able to keep it secret from Littlefinger, yeah. which means they should be able to keep it. I'm suspicious whether or not everyone knew. Probably uh, several key people knew, but not everyone. Yeah. But when they see where it's going, they're not going to argue against, clearly, you know, what's happening here. So so maybe we can't have Aiden Gillen yet. As a, Maybe he's not out of the show. Yeah. Maybe he's still going to yeah. come back as Arya, so maybe we can't invite him on as a guest after all. We'll be a little. We'll know better than that than to, than to suspect a flashback like we did with uh, Walter Frey. Like, what's going on here? Like, I know exactly what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's not a flashback. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Okay, so super chat from Mnet B. Could Viserion being able to continuously breathe fire because he doesn't need to breathe at all? It could be an advantage in the two first ones. That's interesting. That dragon was certainly just blowing it, just constant. It's like a blowtorch. I was. I had a couple thoughts to that end by the way one is that he may be empowered by the night king yeah but also he may be pushed farther by the night king like i i i, I want to go on this assumption that there's that the dragons aren't just infinite right like yeah in the same way that action heroes in movies there's just guns just never run out of bullets or jam you know what i mean and that's not realistic i feel like the dragon there's some sort of biological process this generating a fire. Maybe not. Maybe it's just pure magic and yeah. they just breathe fire infinitely. But I, I like to think that they run out of breath or they use up some energy or they have to recharge, you know. And maybe the Night King was putting everything into this one blast to bring the wall down, but the dragon might not be at full strength for some sure. time to come. You know? Yeah. I like the touch of having the dragon have like small holes in his wings like to reflect his dead yeah. status. That was cool. Which does also, to the point that I had made in the past, that... He's just magic. He could just be a skeleton flying. A skeleton, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's They don't necessarily need to have their wings intact to fly because the way a person walks around is connective tissue. The muscles pulling on tendons connected to the bones make you walk, right? You take a well, note, everybody? Well, we see some straight up skeletons with no muscles <laughs> yeah. or tendons. They still walk around. So it's magic that makes this work. So yeah. magic can make the dragon fly whether or not it has wings or whatever. But maybe magic can make it bring, breathe fire, even if it doesn't have oxygen, or maybe. Yeah. But I. But still, I want to think that the magic needs some recharging, you know. Um, or maybe some proximity to the north. The farther they get away from uh, it, the maybe the power diminishes. And interesting, yeah. Maybe that's part of what. Maybe I don't think of this alone, but maybe they have to lure the Night King farther south, abandon Winterfell, go to King's Landing, where the Night King's power isn't there. as strong. Yeah. He will be weaker in Night King's Landing. That's his base. <laughs> be his new home now. Well, maybe that's go all the way to Dorne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, desert just doesn't seem like a hospitable place for. An ice army of, you know, a dead ice army. <laughs> Might become a tundra when I get down there. <laughs> Question from Brittany Strickland, patron. Uh, so many questions this week. Why does Tyrion seem to think Podrick is on the other side of things? Isn't he still serving Brienne, who is in turn serving Starks? Is the encounter between Sandor and Ungregor the end of the Clegane Bowl show hype? And why didn't Jon mention that the undead can be killed by Valyrian steel? Okay, well, the first part... I don't think Tyrion thought Podrick was on the other side of things. I think that what he, I think that's what he said to Bronn. Maybe you got maybe you got that crossed in your head there. I could be wrong. I'll have to watch again. Maybe I'm the one getting getting it crossed. But Tyrion and Podrick were happy to see each other. But I I didn't get the 
we're on opposite sides vibe. That was I thought that was a Braun thing. I, I thought that he said a line along that lines. Well, they had been on opposite also, sides. Yeah. Maybe he was just referring to the past when they had been on opposite sides. Because, yeah, they clearly yeah. are on the same side now. Anyway, the second part of the question was about Sandor and Gregor. We weighed in on that. We think that Sandor's line was absolutely just fan service. Not in a bad way, but hype. Just saying, yes, this is going to happen, but not now. <laughs> patient hype. Yeah, they were saying, be patient, but it's coming. They, they, they could have may as well hung a, a poster saying, get, you know, Clegane Bowl 2K19. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and the last part was, why didn't John mention that the undead can be killed by Valyrian Steel? Maybe the same reason Bran said that I'm the only one who knows the truth. Because, even though Helen Reed knows the truth. Because it just would confuse the issue. It might also be relatively not important. How is that going to change their strategy? Yeah. They're still fundamentally going to do the same things, whether or not two or four people have Valerian Steel yeah, Sword. It's yeah, they, like, can't, they can't do anything about it. Yeah, they it's can't like, just all right, it. we've got four F-16s, two M1 Abram tanks, and a thousand guys with M-16s, and also I'm a crack shot with my sniper rifle. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's nice, but can we get some more M-16s for everyone else, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Lady Colfina Wolfart says, I think a lot of the issues with the show are writers rushing to an endpoint and not actually writing a story. Yeah, we've, we've talked about it before, and we, we tend to agree with that. Is it would be nice for them to, to let some of this play out more evenly rather than rushing, because a lot of this is payoff. And you don't want to rush through the payoff. The payoff is kind of what we've been waiting for. But eh, what are you going to do? We'll, we'll, we'll Let, enjoy what we say, get. Let's say that they were as expert writers as George and had every intention of filling out the full storyline and the thoughts of the characters and the, the depth of the history behind everything. How long has it taken George to get this one book out, right? Yeah. How long would it take him to put all that on screen? It would make it for 20 years to get the, the actors are all going to grow up. You know, they, and there, there are some reasonable time restrictions on what they're able to do here. Yeah. So. It's frustrating. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm as bothered by this stuff as, as other people, but I also realistically see that they have to get this on film without taking three generations. <laughs> you know, if and, and, now they can take three generations, Star Wars did, but it'll be new stories from different time periods and different characters. You know, right on. Yeah, and of course, that's a good point. You bring up Star Wars. A lot of people talking <laughs> about the Ray Garliana scene and noticing the parallels to. Star Luke Wars, and Leia. There. yeah, yeah, just, or yeah, or Luke and Leia is more of not a, Luke and Leia, but uh, Anakin and, and uh, Padme. Yes, uh, Luke yeah. and Leia is more of a parallel to John and Danny's. Right, right, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, question from Andres Navarro: The showrunner said the fact that John is a Targ would create conflict between him and Danny. Do we think that that will be the incest part or that the claim part? And and uh, you know, it's funny, Andres, is that. I don't know if this is me or you, but there's a small, t small typo here where you wrote, or I put relationship instead of relationship. <laughs> and that makes me think that's a great way for Theon to talk to people who are connected to him. It's like, what's your relationship to me? <laughs> <laughs> like, if, especially if Theon becomes king later, you know, <laughs> king of the Iron Islands or something, or if Asha is queen, like, what's your relationship to him? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, to get to the actual question <laughs> instead of my ridiculous punning, I think both of them will be big problems. And I think the incest part is a chance the incest part is the bigger problem. But there's a also, if the claim part is a problem, it has the potential to be a bigger problem. I think the incest thing is maybe more likely to be a small problem, but is easier to get around. The claim thing might be harder to get around. But John could always just take the black again <laughs> or something yeah. to set aside his claim. <laughs> I mean, it seems to me like Danny should just be like, oh, my bad. You're the one. 
you know, she expects everyone else to accept her to be queen because that's just the rules of secession. Just yeah. like Stannis, it seems like when it, it certainly if it was presented to Stannis, if there was a different factor involved, he would have just so oh, that's right, you're the one. He yeah. would have just backed off, you know. And they do have... would have argued and he would have no. It's interesting to consider how Danny would consider the evidence. If it's in this book that Rhaegar had an annulment, you know, and then this kid was born, like she maybe not will be maybe she'll be skeptical about Brand's like your brother and your best friend are the evidence here. Yeah. You know, yeah. that might be problematic. Because Danny is just her I was born to rule the seven kings. I agree that maybe the law says what the law says and that should be that, but I don't know if it'll be that simple. But John might simplify it by being like, I don't want this. But he might I don't think John's gonna have ambition for this, even if it's revealed, which it probably will be revealed. But he might be all well, I'm the king. That's the that's the law, you know. I don't want to be king, but he might be all Stannis-like and be I like, think "Well, this is the I thing." I think what's more likely is that he would recognize it as a way to unite people to fight the Night King. That's mm. the reason I think he would take on the responsibility. Yeah, kind of like but he did with King of the North. Yeah. The problem is that all the other people that might potentially get united have have either been killed or effectively written out of the story. Right? There's only one person left to convince, and that's Cersei. And this doesn't convince Cersei. This doesn't <laughs> does convince not. Cersei. Does so, yeah. Unless they try to give some perspective of what's going on in the rest of the kingdom, which maybe they can do in an hour and a half long episode. As we already considered the idea that they planted the seed of Sam telling the maesters, the people trust you. If you send word out, they'll obey. So if if they do do that, right, and they send out word, and we see a bunch of lords reading this letter, you know what I mean? And in some of them believe or don't believe, right? And Cersei, like, presses some of them. Hey, you better ignore that message. I'm still your queen here. But then here comes John. Actually, I'm the real one. And even Danny agrees. And I got dragons behind me. And everyone agrees, except for Cersei. You guys should join me. I'm the one true king. They might they might believe it. You know? hmm. They might abandon Cersei at that point. Yeah, because Cersei hates Danny, but maybe she hates John less. And she did. She was, like, using her plan, using John's integrity as part of her plan. Yeah. So yeah. if she really trusts his integrity that much, it might actually... And if she know. really is looking out for number one, like, part of her wanting to be queen is to have enough power to protect her family. Yeah. But if she thinks that John having enough power is protection for her family. I don't know. Mm. Okay, so question from Christian Mertes. Now, we've sort of answered this question already, but it's something you added here that I wanted to discuss. The question is, do you think the White Walkers had a plan B to bring down the wall in case our heroes had come up with the stellar idea of capturing a white, necessitating Danny to get them a dragon? And what was the narrative point of this whole storyline? Oh, Johnny, now my dragon died for nothing. I wouldn't say for nothing. He doomed us all. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked about their possible plan B. Maybe that, that's why they had the chains, for example. Maybe they were going to climb, you know, send a few, you know, climbing lights up and then book the la I don't know. But I think they had maybe some plan. Or maybe, like we talked about, it was, pro you know, they have their own version of prophecy. They knew they were luring a dragon there. That was, that was their plan A, you know, and their plan B maybe was something else entirely. But I think that is really funny that the, the goal, the, going to get a white is the way is why the white walkers now have a way past the wall <laughs> they're yeah, like yeah. maybe they never would have had a way past if not for giving them a dragon you know it's <laughs> just kind <laughs> of an irony of everything we got a lot of good suggestions for people to have as guests in case you all missed the earlier part of this we were discussing who we were going to have as guests in the in our traditional end of season fanfare where we have you know fun episodes where we discuss some you know serious topics and do some real analysis but we also like to just kind of geek out over what's happened and, and review the season as a whole and it's a great opportunity for us to bring in guests so keep sending guest suggestions in 
maybe we'll do two or three to work around all the different schedules. <laughs> here's a super yeah absolutely sean um here's a super chat from brian begnoche or brian begnoche uh sorry if i said your name wrong pardons if you covered this why did brand know john's parentage but not about the marriage he didn't watch the whole Werewood tv episode <laughs> that's right well that it just goes to show that brand doesn't he can he remembers everything but he can't see everything he has to know where to look i mean all of human history is a vast thing and he's still in season three. He saw the vision of John being born by Liana. So he knew that part, but he didn't, for whatever reason. And this, is maybe, this is maybe the part that doesn't make sense, is that Bran didn't look for more in that. Maybe he didn't think there was anything else to see. Maybe he, he didn't think, oh, did they get married? You know, he didn't, he, the one thing he maybe could have looked on um, was, did, did Rhaegar really kidnap and rape Liana? But he didn't necessarily have a reason to doubt that story, you know? Also, consider how long... Even if he knew both time and place to look, which is a lot, right? Yeah. It still takes time to do the looking. How long? Say, say he knew to, to, to go from that moment. To, does he look forward or look back? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so say he starts looking back and he goes back a day, three days, a week. How far back does he have to go? Even if he lands and, and I would say he's like skipping around and he checks one day and he spends like eight hours watching through the eight hours of this day and nothing there it goes to the next day eight hours like okay let me just watch 15 minutes okay nothing say he gets to the day where that wedding is and watches for 15 (laughs) minutes like ah there's nothing here moves on you know like (laughs) imagine if you suddenly had the ability to see everything anywhere anytime how quick would you do it and you say you wanted to go back and stop hitler from taking over germany what day do you go how long do you look you know what what's the right moment to be looking at there you know it's it's a lot. It's a lot for him to absorb. He's new at this. He's not going to do it perfectly. He's not going to have... He had the guidance of the Three-Eyed Raven to bring him to that moment of the Tower of Joy, both to know it was significant, to know where it was, and to know when it was. He doesn't have this guidance now, and that's something maybe Sam can provide is the right moments, the right places and times to be looking. Perfect. Good explanation. All right. Um, let's see what other questions we have here. I'm picking through a few that are left here. We're going to wrap it up shortly. We've almost gone for three hours. And um, that's pretty awesome, but uh, um, we can't go forever, is even because we didn't get six thousand. So that's not a yeah. twenty. We don't have enough for the twenty-four hour stream. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Um, question from Tara Bones: Is Daenerys going to be pregnant next season? Well, your guess is as good as ours, but John certainly threw shade on the idea that she can't have babies. It was one another yet another conversation interrupted by something more important or something more urgent that wasn't finished they were he, she's like did it ever occur to you that maybe she wasn't the best source of information and then Tyrion's walking over and they're like oh hang on yep. <laughs> and they never got back to that conversation next thing they're next thing we see them is they're you know they're banging so it's probably their pillow talk <laughs> that they just don't show us yeah, yeah so i don't know i'm I, I i'm not sure it's funny to think that Technically, Mary Mazdor never actually said Danny can't have babies. That didn't actually happen. That was in the book only. It didn't actually happen in the show. And even in the book, she doesn't exactly say that she can't. She says that you'll have babies when, when the sun rises. Yeah. She names a bunch of things that are impossible. When those, when these impossible things is happen, that's when you'll have babies. But they could have. They could happen. The, the, in they some could symbolic be, way. Yeah. yeah. Like right. mountains blowing in the leaves, or Mona yeah. Blin is like, well, the mountain dying, you know, blowing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. She um, also said that. The Drogo would come back. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. So is Drogo coming back? You know? Yeah. And and I think she did say that in the <laughs> she, show. She did, yeah. Right? So and 
Slope says, and I can could just fly to Essos, kill a bunch of people, turn them into whites, and then have that and go from there. Well, the yeah. problem, like he, yes, he could. The problem with that is, I don't think he wants to alert the whole world that he's a thing to be dealt with. I think he would rather take people on piecemeal. I think that's why he wanted to stop the white from being captured. I because he I... didn't want he didn't want humanity to unite against him. He was pretty content to let humanity tear itself apart and then come in when they're weaker. On one hand, I agree with you, but on the other hand, I feel like it's just not necessary. <laughs> he doesn't need to have some master strategy. I, yeah. the, now, that said, I felt the same way about Danny. Danny's coming across with two armies and three dragons and a fleet, and uh, sort of has two other armies in addition to that, and up against Cersei and her one, I look, how is anyone going to stop this? That's kind of how I feel, that the Night King seems so powerful. His army is so big yes. and impervious to death. And he <laughs> has a dragon that can just take out any cat. I don't know what the challenge is going to be. And part of that's what made me think that this storyline with Cersei and King's Landing and everything wouldn't be resolved this season because we still need some drama next season. It can't just be six hour and a half long episodes of battles. There's got to be some tension and drama to make us care about what's happening, some build up, some ebb and flow to this. So... I wonder what is going to be the challenge for the Night King. And simple answer is Bran. Bran somehow will be able to put a monkey wrench into plans. You know, maybe yeah. Euron. And I know that Euron has some some mystical potential in the books that hasn't come out in the show. Well, he's still around as a character. Maybe that's part of him going off to Essos. He's going to come yeah. back with his horn. Or with Melisandre, who will have some, you know, battalion of red priests that have some particular power or knowledge. Yeah. Blood. King's blood from John might... I didn't consider this whole idea of Euron going back to Essos. That's interesting. I mean, in terms of stuff like, in terms of him picking up some of his abandoned book plots, it's interesting. I'm still kind of down on the idea, but I like that. It's definitely at least worth considering that it's back on the table now. Maybe it was just coincidence, right? Yeah. A lot of, uh, with, with Melisandre, maybe it's just coincidence that when she burned Shireen, that this... The storm clears over yeah, Winterfell. Yeah. It still didn't work out. And maybe it was just coincidence, but maybe it was some power. Maybe it wasn't the power that Melisandre thought, you know what I mean? But my point being that maybe if, you know, for a great power, you need great sacrifice. If John is willing to sacrifice or if Gendry gets sacrificed <laughs> after all, maybe Gendry. summer will come. Maybe a mm. storm will clear around the Night King's mm. army and it'll like... Yeah, at like least that. give a reprieve for a battle or, or define a line that they can't cross or something along that line you know almost certainly some mystical thing has to happen and the mystical things we've seen in the past what are what you know what are they melisandre and king's blood that's uh, that's there's always I'm a cost of, for magic is the theme yeah like the magic always comes at a price there's never there's never uh, it's never just an easy just cast a spell and that works yeah it does make it easier theme. for john to sacrifice himself like you remove these debates over who the proper heir is if john sacrifices himself to save yeah. the day okay now danny's just queen there's no other challenge to the, the i lineage. see um mike bushnell has figured it out he says that it's all a misunderstanding he's not the night king he's the nice king <laughs> Well, that's that's he just see now he could if they should have let him speak and then he could tell people he's just a nice guy, but he can't speak. It's all Euron cut his tongue out. <laughs> We're figuring it all out here, guys. This is all coming to play. We've figured it all out. Yes, Game of Thrones is over. We solved it. <laughs> okay, I think that's about it for today. We have um, covered almost all the questions. There's a few that we kind of already answered. If you got. 
by almost all the questions you mean we've covered 140 out of 200 and there's still 60 more and we can't possibly do all yeah. of them. Well, some of them are repeats, so I can say some of y'all, you'll get your question answered by going back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, some of the others that we maybe just didn't uh, didn't catch. But there's Too always bad, Wednesday. This is uh, our last episode ever and we'll never have a chance to address questions. Oh, we're going to do it on Wednesday? Okay, Wednesday. Wednesday with right. uh, Radio Westeros and Ashea in front of the camera instead of running production. We'll be doing both, as she does. And... We will, again, we'll be scheduling some other end-of-season festivities with a variety of guests and more Sean. And we're trying to combine different groups. Like, just like this season is done, put people that have never been together in the same scene. We're going to try to do that with our fandom and put some of the different YouTubers and podcasters on screen at the same time and see what kind of fun stuff happens. Hopefully it's more of, you know, Danny and John and not um, Cersei and, and uh, Bronn. <laughs> no, that won't happen. We're all... Everybody's cool about that sort of thing. We'll see. It depends on who it is. <laughs> <laughs> so let us do our acknowledgments and all that. And thank you, everybody, for being with us all season and going forward. It's been a lot of fun just oh. hanging out with you guys. And By the way, Shay, did you get Suzanne's images? I didn't, I didn't correct the little bit. No? Sorry. Okay. Well, coming soon. Coming soon. We've got some images Sorry. for House Beard. Oh, yeah. That's exciting. I want to put it at the beginning of the episode next week. Okay, cool. So we'll have that. We'll hopefully have that ready by next week. We should, indeed. So let us give thanks to, certainly, as always, Ashea for doing all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff. And thanks to Joey Townsend and Jesse Kowal for our music. Thanks to Michael Klarfeld for the video intro. And he is working on an Iron Islands map, which we're really excited about. Some of us have done some modeling for it, which is... Uh, which is always fun to be a map model, <laughs> modeling for historical figures, modeling to be an ancient uh, historical ironborn figure. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, we, this is actually his map right here, yeah, right? Yeah, both of these, And yeah. he, he does a map, but he surrounds the map with, with lore and imagery of different characters and moments from history. It's really awesome. Our intro and outro video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I said that. Okay, yeah. yeah. It bears, it bears re-mention. He did our intro-outro video. So, yes, very talented uh, graphic designer, multi-talented guy. Very helpful, very friendly. And um, again, thanks to you guys for showing up. It really, these live streams are so much better with a large group of y'all having fun together, chatting at us, chatting with each other. And we want to keep that going. We want to keep keep this a strong aspect. It's one of the strengths of our community. And we'll do what we can to support it and to give you all a, a good place to come hang out. So, um, and a lot of that, having this space to hang out and having all this come together is in large part thanks to our patrons. Let's give thanks to them. Starting with the mysterious VR, Hand of the King. Also Lord Michael Valerian, Knight of High Tide, Knight of High Tide and Guardian of the DeLorean, Hand of the Queen. Lady Suzanne Sinistral, the learned holder of the left-handed Valerian shears called Penance, Hand of the Beer. Yes. And also Sir Valentin of House to Jen, creator of the Game of Predictions. Uh, website that I was mentioning earlier. Go check that out. There's a link to it on our supporters page at historyofwesteros.com. Welcome to Charlotte Austria, Corsair Queen of the Western Shivering Sea, commander of the Briny Fleet, whose flagship is the barnacle-encrusted violet-hulled Mercenaria. She carries the nacre-inlaid shucking blade Crass Lover. Nice. <laughs> also thanks to Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad, Warden of the East. Kabeth the Unfrozen, Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. They really could use an un a guy who goes by that name right now. Someone who doesn't freeze would be very useful right now. 
Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Lord Osborne of Castle Werewoods is spreading the old gods by planting werewood saplings in the Reach, Stormlands, and Crownlands, and maybe overseas. His motto, Our Roots Run Deep, or rather his house's motto is, Our Roots Run Deep. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones and Narrow Sea, commander of the Royal Fleet, consisting of the Narrow Fleet led by the flagship Paraxes and the Bloodstone Fleet led by the flagship Prince Damon. Our small council consists of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whisperers, Grand Maester Soria of the Barrows, Cinder of the Citadel, Lord Robert Jacobs, Master of Coin, and Rosie of Clever. Rosie of Clever? Rosie the Clever, Master of Laws. We do not have a Master of Ships, thanks to King James Tuttle sailing off and becoming King of the Narrow Sea, so we could use your help, perhaps. Our lords and ladies in their castles include Lady Dyrlas of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron, Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone, Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges, Gregor the Toasty, Lord of the Breadfort, Alicia Everlasting is of the Greenblood, Lady of Desert Rose, Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass, Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep, Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is the wielder of the Valyrian steel machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemmy Snugglebunny is guardian of the hidden Hundred Acre Werewood and holder of the Vorpal Snugglebunny. Lord Brandon Brewer is of Castle Blackrune, sworn alesmith to House Stark, Grandmaster of the Zithomancer's Guild, and Keeper of the Clubs. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands, last scion of Clan McCulloch. Motto, strength, courage. The Bastard of the Wolfswood is first forester of the Old Gods, sworn to house Iron Werewood. Motto, listen for the silence. Conor the Dungeon Master is Lord of Catamount Keep and Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pass. Our King's Justice is Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Our Queen's High Council consists of Lady Jane of Hell Celtigar, the Emerald of the Evening, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Axe, Painkiller, and Mistress of Sea Eagles, Mistress of Ships. Lady Mai of House Swan is Mistress of Whispers. Elia of, of State is Master of Coin. Grand Maester M. Elizabeth is Middle Daughter of Leanna Mormont, First Lady to Forge Moat, the Silver and Valyrian Steel Links. Lady E.S. is Master of Law. Council of the Beard is led by Grand Maester Clark, Protector of Wisdom and Beards. Yes. We have Queen of Love and Beauty, Casey of House Chikawawa, from Tormund Giant Swang, Our Love is Forever. Our King's Guard is commanded by Lord Commander Sir Christopher Dane of Starfall, Sentinel of the Torrentine. Our Queen's Guard is commanded by Lord Captain Commander Hama Helminth of the Sellsword Sentinel. And our Beard Guard consists of Lord Commander George the Golden, Sir Joshua Oakheart of the White Oak, and Lady Rita of the Coppermane, the Unbound, Dance the Fervor. That's right. Now you've got another Beard Guard member who just joined. We'll get a nickname in there soon as well. And last but not least, of course, the history of Westeros' Night's Watch, led by Lord Commander Daenerys Flint of the Night Fort, who is avenging the memory of Brave Danny, First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard Greenshield, First Builder Patchface of Motley Wisdom, and First Steward Sir Jurion of the Torrentine, called Palewind. Thanks to everybody. We had an extra long stream today, so I'm not, I didn't actually have time to grab any random extra patrons whose names I like to say, but I'll grab a few here just by looking. How about Dutch of House Lombroski, Defender of the Burr? How about R Red Raven, the Lady Warrior and Mother of the Emerald Dragon? How about Matthew Snow, illegitimate heir to the Emerald Isle, the wielder of House Blackmont's sacred Valyrian steel blade, Darkheart? 
How about Lady Sarah, keeper of Nath's butterflies and wielder of the red Valyrian pen? How about Sir Jacob of House Dane? How about Sir Fabian Storm? And how about Sharma Steelgrip of the Red Nose? How about them apples? <laughs> <laughs> how about that's the end of our episode? How about Valar reread us? How about Valar rewatch us? How about Valar see you all soon for our next live stream? Valar we dance us. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>